detective? Thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Now Care More, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, Celestial so event. How it works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast, the crossroads where science fiction, fantasy, and horror meet. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball, and tonight we have a uh, very special episode of Phantom Galaxy, something I'm trying here that we probably will never try again. But, you know, uh, if it doesn't kill the show, Dad, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll reevaluate later. Uh, I'll bring in my co-hosts, all uh, five of them in a moment, and of course, my regular co-host, Bill. But uh, before we do, I'll uh, give however you want to process this as a warning or a, <laughs> a preparation. <laughs> this was an episode that was uh, suggested uh, by Victor Rodriguez when we were recording our best horror movies of the year. And this is, uh, it's it's in time of Valentine's Day. I don't think I would necessarily call it a Valentine's Day episode. But this is sort of our Phantom Galaxy After Dark episode where we're going to look at, uh, say, I think this started out as let's look at erotic thrillers, erotic horror films. And it sort of blossomed into basically like sexy genre movies, I think is, is the safest way to uh, to categorize this. We're going to aim for a PG-13 episode, but be aware that the movies we're talking about tonight uh some of them more than others. So there, there are some decidedly non PG 13. And uh, I think one of these films, at least one of these films was rated X when it was initially released, which I, I think it would be reappraised today, but still just, just a uh, war, word of warning or information or however you want to take it. But in a moment, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. I'll bring in Bill first, Bill, how are you tonight? Oh, if the audience could only hear the pre-show chatter. <laughs> we'll see how much of that I can include as uh, outtakes here or there. I don't know how much of. I am so looking forward to this one. Not that I'm not with every every episode we do, I look forward to. But this one, because of the amount of guests, because of the topic, because of the movies we saw, because of I know the banter and the tit for tat, literally, we're going to talk about. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting episode. So, ladies, gentlemen, strap yourselves in, have a cold beverage. You might need something to wipe your brow up by the time we're done. This is going to be fun. You had to say strap and wipe, but okay. <laughs> anyway, let's like, go ahead. I heard him cackle. So let's go ahead and bring in Dave Becker. Cause of course Dave would have to be involved. I'm not even sure how Dave got involved in this episode, but here he is. No, Dave. I have no idea how I got involved in this episode, but Dave, yeah, Dave, I'm here. Dave gate crashed a chat <laughs> and then he's now on. <laughs> we're happy to have him and uh it was actually yeah. a lot of fun watching the, the movies you chose dave yes uh, I, I i picked two movies that well we'll wait for the episode yeah yeah so dave becker uh, ladies and gentlemen uh happy to have him here tonight yeah. and we also have uh we'll go and bring in the two gregs we have greg bench is back greg how are you tonight 
I'm doing well, ready for this fun, <laughs> fun discussion. Um, trying to figure out any kind of a intro tagline for it, and I'm just not that creative today. But yes, it will be uh, Phantom Galaxy After Dark. <laughs> 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 that was all that was all we needed that was... say greg do you have on a smoking jacket i always have a smoking <laughs> he's got jacket like, on. like a, he's got a bubble pipe in his other hand exactly, there, exactly. uh okay hopefully we'll hear any vibrations on any of these uh, but anyway and then we have greg bazelli greg how are you tonight oh horns up and welcome to the equivalent of an elephant walk for phantom galaxy exactly did anyone else think he said horned up <laughs> it's appropriate for this one that's, that's that's what i heard but great yeah and greg bazelli scores from uh monsters in the mosh pit great podcast that you should check out you can find that in the the show notes and i should mention too i mentioned dave's podcast but you know the 32 podcasts that dave's a part of you'll find yeah. in the show notes yeah I, wait for the <laughs> end yeah wait for the end this longer than my well never mind yeah <laughs> <laughs> your hair longer than your hair so uh and then the the um instigator of this whole mess of uh, victor rodriguez victor how are you doing tonight oh, pretty good i'm finally getting my dream come true <laughs> right five, five guys <laughs> at once, <laughs> at once. Yeah, all, all at the same time victor go ahead and explain uh, i think we were discussing cronenberg's crash which obviously was already off topic from the episode that we were discussing but what what were you uh what how did you envision this going initially in your mind i mean i'm sure this is way off but well you know um genre content is usually an outlier in cinema um and uh we uh, cover a lot of genre content on the show and erotic content is an outlier uh on cinema as well uh like uh, people in the mainstream tend to look down on those things as if they are second rate um that really pisses me off to no end because as we're about to find out tonight there are certain gems in that field of stones <laughs> that will <laughs> reveal to you. Uh, and obviously, if a movie has artistic value, I think it's definitely a worthy topic of discussion. And uh, hopefully we found a bunch of them for you tonight. Including some men with big stones. Mm. <laughs> All right. Sure. Well, very well said, Victor. Um, and then, Bill, whatever you said. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I agree. And I think something that will be interesting is when you get to this topic, we're talking about uh, a lot of this is very subjective. But I think when you start to talk about things that are sexy or erotic, you're going to find that we all picked different movies, in some cases, very different movies and uh, movies for different reasons. There are movies here that, you know, you're going to look at a couple of these and say, well, I, I don't see what's sexy at all about that. And then uh, there'll be movies you're going to say, well, I thought that would have been sexy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think things, uh, your 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 fetishes, your interests, the things that turn you on are as subjective as the things that make you laugh. You know, comedy and uh, even horror, the things that scare you. So it's always interesting, I think. Uh, and I agree, Victor. I think that, you know, certainly this is a topic that uh, a lot of times I just avoid episodes like this because I don't want to hear uh, any uh, <laughs> any feedback 
from the not not genuine feedback about the films, but you know, I, I definitely am sure that there's some family members or friends out there that are going to say, "Why did you do that episode?" But you know <laughs> what? Here it is, all uh, most likely five hours of it. But um, <laughs> no, yes, no, remember. hopefully not. Just remember, we we don't shame each other. We all live. No, no, Greg, Greg's already put that out there. You could try to get ahead of yourself, aren't well, you? Well, I already put it in my mouth on the uh, 2022 episode, so I might as well put myself out there now and get it out of the head of the game and say, you know. Greg. I don't I don't know how this is going to sound when it comes out, but literally the only part of that that was garbled is you said put and garbled and in my mouth. That's I'm not even joking. That's how I heard it. But anyway, um, so in fact, you know, it's, it's a good place to start is with uh, Greg Bazzelli. So we each picked two movies. The way we're going to do this, we're not going to do full reviews, although for the first film, it's going to be probably a little bit more like a review because it's a brand new movie. It's in theaters right now. Uh, We have not reviewed it previously on the show. I specifically held that off because we're going to talk about it here. I know not everybody's seen the movies. That's fine. Uh, But we're each going to introduce the movie. And then at the end, when we're finished with our our movie, we're just going to say uh, whether, you know, did we find it sexy or not? You know, some of these movies... Uh, we either hadn't seen before or hadn't seen in a very long time. And anyone on the show has, who's also seen it, you can throw your two cents in the ring. Sexy or not sexy, you know. It uh, doesn't mean a, make it a bad or a, or a good movie, but, you know, did it uh, did it tickle your fancy, shall we say. So anyway, I think uh, without further ado, we'll go ahead and we'll let Greg get started uh, with his first film. Okay. So before I do that, I you know I make a specialty drink for all my shows that I'm on, including my guest appearances. So I had to make a specialty drink for tonight. Does everyone had a buttery nipple shot? Anybody remember those from back when they used to go to the bars? Mm-hmm. I'm familiar. I never had I, one, but yeah, never heard, never heard uh, of it's it. Butterscotch, yeah, it's butterscotch. It's butterscotch schnapps and um, yeah, butterscotch schnapps. And, that's awesome. And uh, oh, Irish cream. Okay, that's all it is. Well, I spooged yeah. it up a little bit. And I suppose that's the wrong word for that. Um, I, I zushed it up and I added uh, some Jim Beam honey with it. So you got oh, wow. honey and then the Irish cream. And wow. I made it in front of so, so are you just sucking up to uh, Morgan? Well, so, you know what? I will, <laughs> I will give Greg yeah. Morgan credit. He's the reason why I bought it. But I've probably bought five or six you know, a leader since then. <laughs> so. yeah. and that's like the crack and rum. I think I bought it when, when Greg mentioned he had some and uh, yeah, like oh, seven or eight empty bottles uh, later. Crack and kick your ass. So this, this drink, it, well, it'll sink your ship for sure, Dave. <laughs> it, it, it sank Dave's ship many a time. Yeah. Oh, many times. <laughs> well, this is called Phantom Galaxy After Dark. So just so you know. Yeah, yeah, I have, a, I have a Maker's Mark and a Diet Coke. Take that for what you will. But hey, Maker's Forty Six um, is delicious. No, we're off top. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I think that's perfect. Uh, thanks for for bringing it up, Greg. So, uh, but whenever you're ready, uh, and I'm sure you know which movie we're talking about here. Yeah, so. ob- obvious, okay. obviously, it's the one from 1981, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I chose a 2023 film that just came out, and I've been. Uh, enraptured by it and it's uh brandon cronenberg's infinity pool as one of my picks i'll give you a quick synopsis synopsis from imdb it's james and m foster are enjoying an all-inclusive beach vacation in the fictional island of latolka when a fatal accident exposes the resort's perverse subculture of hedonistic tourism reckless violence and surreal horrors i honestly i read that beforehand because i wanted to make sure it didn't give anything away and uh, i thought that was a good synopsis Good job, IMDb, for once. 
Yeah. Uh, this is uh, directed and written by Brandon Cronenberg, who uh, did Possessor in, I believe, 2020, which was also a really good film. If you haven't seen that, it's also a psych- uh, psychosexual type of film as well. But the thing that got me going on it was it's got Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goth in it. So you got Brandon Cronenberg, Alexander Skarsgård, Mia Goth. I'm in. And not only am I in, but I may need to contact my doctor afterwards because I don't think you're supposed to have an erection for that long. So, <laughs> uh, is the is the movie three hours long, and you have to call your doctor? Uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's two hours, so it's it's right on the brink. Yeah, but uh, this this movie is beautifully shot. Uh, it takes place on this fictional island of Lato- of Latoka, like I said, and it's gorgeous. Uh, the inhabitants there. Uh, kind of like french revolutionist kind of feel to them but uh with a little bit of a twist in my my opinion um kind of like the outskirts of like one of the the lower mediterranean countries mixed with french but um scarsgard plays it up mia goth is exactly what you expect i don't know i don't know if that's gonna come off as a little redundant or vague but she's exactly what you would expect she's gorgeous and she's psycho Skarsgård is gorgeous and uh you know just gorgeous and that man can read the dictionary naked and i will tune in um yeah i don't, I don't know what else to say about this film without going into the spoilers i think i've said enough <laughs> <laughs> no, and it is it is a difficult film. I think on one end to talk about with uh, without spoiling anything, but there are so many themes and, and uh, elements uh, going on under the surface of this thing. I am absolutely loving Cronenberg's Brandon Cronenberg's career so far, and it's very interesting because he's definitely following in the footsteps of his dad. He's making movies that are similar in their interests. And similar in some of their themes as his father. But I don't know how you guys feel, but I don't feel like he's copying him. Or rather, it they it, it doesn't feel like a sort of like Cronenberg light, if you will. No. And in fact, you know, we just got a legit David Cronenberg movie last year in Crimes of the Future. Mm. And Infinity Pool is, uh, you know, it's handling some of those same themes in a different way. And um, personally speaking, I think I might like at least viscerally speaking, I think I might like some things in Infinity Pool a little bit better, although I loved Crimes of the Future. It was on my top ten. But uh, he's doing them in a different way. In Infinity Pool, it's funny that we talked about Crash on the last episode because I think a lot of the themes that are in Crash dovetail with some of the things that Cronenberg is saying in Infinity Pool. But you're right, Greg. It's a beautiful movie. It looks wonderful. The performances are great. And I, I don't think it's too much to say that, yes, there are some horror elements. And it is a horror movie, I think, uh, generally speaking, and there are even some sci-fi moments, but I love how those elements are fine-tuned into the film so that the ultimate result still feels, even though it's dreamlike and horrific at points, there's still a certain bit of reality to it um, that's gr- that, that, that really resonates. You know, you could tell this story without those elements, but those elements uh, really enhance it. I think again. I, I I know I'm being quite vague, but I thought the filmmaking. Uh, it's funny. It's fun to watch him progress. I loved Possessor. I don't know. I haven't seen. I've only seen this film once, so I can't. It's hard to compare. Uh, 
I the kind of film that Possessor was it was more appealing to me. I think so. On that end, I might like it a little bit more. But I think he gets a, he, one of the things that was difficult in Possessor is who are you to root for? Who do you like in yeah. this? And uh, you have a little bit of that here, but the perspective is shifted in such a way that I don't think that's as much a problem. You know that these aren't so much protagonists as they are people that we are sort of observe ob- observing. Um, I think honestly, Nathan. The biggest difference for me between the two films, and I agree with you that he's not like David Cronenberg light, but the biggest thing and the difference between two films is Possessor was pretty much a genre film in the sense of sci-fi horror, right? There wasn't much uh, out of bounds on that film, whereas Infinity Pool, it doesn't overtly go into one subgenre or subset of of, of pigeonholing itself into a film. There's a lot of scenes on this in this film that are a romantic drama in a way. So I just, I like the fact that Brandon's really like kind of spreading his wings a little bit in, uh, to me in this film and branching out and saying, look, I can probably do multiple genres. I just enjoy doing what this subset is. So I just, and I don't want to really get too much into the themes because I think the theme, one of the themes specifically, will give away a lot of the story. So that's uh, yeah. So that yeah. Anyway, I agree with you. That's what I'm trying to say. I guess. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. And I think with Possessor, it's creating a world that we don't really live in. Whereas the world of Infinity Pool feels at least a little bit more relatable. There's not as much that he needs to explain up front. Um, and then of course you have the the. The, the sexy content here, Mia Goth is, um, you know, I, I love that we're in the era of sort of the unconventional beauties again, yes. you know, with Mia Goth and Anya Taylor, which I'm all for. Uh, I think she actually does go a little further than I was expecting. I'm not getting into any specific scenes, but there's a there's a scene sort of later on where she is full on like uh, she's in like high camp vamp queen yeah. mode, like uh, <laughs> like like back to the days of like. Something like whatever happened to baby Jane, like Betty Davis levels. I was <laughs> loving it. I was like, this is intense. Like her mouth is about to unhinge, <laughs> like in Fright Night. Like it was wild and it was kind of hot. And uh, <laughs> uh, I think that the whole movie is pretty impressive. And there's some very frightening and creepy things going on in it. I loved it. Um, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do next. Um, did anyone else here get a chance to see it? Yeah, um, I saw it. And actually, uh, going to see it is, I, I know we, we had got a bunch of movies to get through, so I'll make it real quick, but um, going to see it was was a bit more of an odyssey than I counted on. And um, <laughs> I just, uh, just wanted to offer a general comment that, you know, of all the movie theaters out there, only a few of them carry indie features, uh, like, you know, indie distributors like Neon, movies um and to go to this movie i had to go quite a bit out of town uh and uh barely made it to the show um but you know all that kind of contributed to the experience of like like oh i almost didn't get to see this in time (laughs) and uh it felt a little it felt a little unsafe to 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 go to a different part of town and the movie itself felt very unsafe and it i does. love that like, like I going love to that. see your forbidden love 
Exactly. Like, like that's how horror films felt when I first started watching them. Um, you know, when I was in my teens and, uh, Brandon Cronenberg, uh, who is, you know, half my age was able to give me that experience. Uh, and that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, crimes of the future, his dad's movie was on my top 10 list of films last year. And I got to tell you, this one will probably be on my list this year. Uh, it's incredible family of filmmakers um, I thought yeah. you were going to say an incredible family film. <laughs> Depends <laughs> on your family. family. Yeah, yeah right. always say that. Yeah, the yeah, Manson family would love it. Yeah, the, the only thing I wanted to add was um, there are elements of social satire in this movie, yes. but what I loved about Infinity Pool is that it's not rammed down your throat. The social satire is there, but what's what really drives the plot of the movie is is the the premise and the sort of the science fiction element and the moral element um and the social satire is kind of baked into it but it's not the end it's not the it's not the all the end all of the movie like that's just an element of it and uh and yeah i i think this is a probably his most personal movie because you know if you create stuff uh, if you, if you create short stories (laughs) or feature films, um, there are crushing moments of self-doubt and towering moments of overconfidence. And the character uh, that Skarsgård plays is having one of those crushing self-doubt moments when the film starts. And this is his journey and it's quite a journey. (laughs) See, I was going to ask Victor specifically how he felt about Skarsgård's character, because of the backstory that he has in this film and just to see like is that something that really happens and that that writers go through you know do you have that soul crushing self-doubt because i know you do in like a lot of other professions as well so yes absolutely um yeah that that really resonated for me and you know somebody who's who hasn't experienced that um, could not have written this movie (laughs) no it was it was right on the mark yeah, that scene on the hood of the car is something else. Um, oh, man. That, that's my, my favorite moment. Uh, I, I, it's going to be hard to top that moment, I think, in films this year. Uh, did anybody else see this one? I did not. Nope. But the question I was going to say, uh, I was going to ask those who had seen it is, see, uh, uh, taking aside the hedonism aspect of, to it, I mean, uh, any movie can get eyeballs on it. You know, you throw a few body parts on and people will watch. It sounds to me like the mark of a good film is it will hold up based on the acting, based on the story arcs, based on the thriller aspects, based on the horror aspects to it. If you took away the TNA or the sex scenes and you scraped away that 15 minutes or whatever, could this still hold up as a movie? They're not even the main no. gist of this picture at all, Bill. Um, 1, yeah, absolutely. One thousand percent can it stand on its own. Although that yeah. there is one scene that is very memorable. Yeah, for sure. I, I will say now I had the opposite experience of Victor in just terms of like going to see it because somehow amazingly AMC before they they turn into this multi-tiered charge of different monies for where you end up sitting. Uh, they they the AMC near, near me will get some of these movies sometimes and they got they got this one and we went to see it and it was a very bizarre experience because we had. 
you know, uh, myself, my two buddies. And then on the other side of us, we had guys that I'm pretty sure were trying to get into Megan or something, right? Like, mm -hmm. and somehow ended up in Infinity Pool. And the shock and the commentary from them, the entire movie. And they were like, dude, he didn't, no, no, wait, not, no, no, that's a dude. And stuff like that. Like the whole yeah. movie long. It was very interesting to see what happened. But those guys were standing outside the theater talking about it. I think they legitimately had their world shaken a little bit. Yeah, my, my experience was similar. It was an AMC about 30 minutes from my house. And it was uh, Dustin and I, my co-host, and at 1030 in the morning on a Saturday. And like Ooh. two other horror dudes. And that's all it was, was these four dudes <laughs> in the middle of the theater watching this weird movie. And then we all walk out together and we all kind of looked at each other nervously. It was like, right, I'm going to go to my car. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. But I loved it. Um, and of course, uh, it probably goes without saying, I think we've all basically said that, but sexy or not, I go sexy. Although not just sexy. Yeah, sexy for sure. Yes, sexy. Hmm. Okay, so Victor, how about you? Uh, since you since you initiated all this, why don't you go with one of your uh, your your movies, one of your two films? All right, um, I guess I'll start with Wicked City from 1987. This is a anime feature from Japan. It's directed by Yoshiaki Kawajiri, um, and I believe he also did Ninja Scroll and uh vampire hunter d bloodlust yep. which was that was also a co-captained uh project with the writer of this movie um but yeah it's um this is a neo noir thriller um with heavy erotic elements uh set in a i guess a it's it's a city that's a lot like near future Japan from 87 but uh it's also uh one of these uh, hidden reality narratives where there's uh there's another hidden world uh sort of wrapped within our world or or, or existing simultaneously with our world and that world is is entirely populated by what they call demons in this uh movie but um th these aren't like uh Christian uh, demons. Uh, these are more Lovecraftian. Uh, actually, I mean, they're more like um, superheroes a bit. Um, they're like the Nightbreed kind of. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's a really good comparison. Yeah, the Nightbreed guys. Um, like each one has a separate power, uh, and that's part of their identity. And they're all really bizarre powers. And uh, the, uh, the the basic narrative is a team up of agents, like one from the demon side, one from the human side. They're both really cool characters. Uh, and um, uh, in that way, it sort of reminded me a, a little bit of uh, From Russia with Love. <laughs> a yeah. little bit in that it's it is a spy thriller, um, but uh, it's it's really heavy on the action and the action is spectacular in this movie like it. There, there's a certain lost art to to uh, to, to this type of thing that I, I just rarely see these days, and um, it's you know very lovingly created, uh, very visceral action, 
um, the dude like fires this gun where he has to like put his back against something really hard when he fires it because it's so the recoil is so insane that it like leaves a crater in the wall when he fires it. <laughs> yeah, it's a handgun, but it seems to fire artillery shells. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, basically, there's there's going to be a uh, there's there's sort of a cold war going on between these two sides, um, but there is a peace being brokered between the two sides and uh, these two agents have to uh, protect the alleged um, broker of the piece. Um, who's this, uh, this weird uh, sort of <laughs> horn dog Yoda is what it looks like. Yeah. T- he totally is like a Yoda um, with, with a, a raging heart on 24 um, seven. But uh <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's what it sounds like. Like, you know, the character is basically there for comic relief, but uh, he does have a purpose. I don't think anything's gratuitous in this movie. It all leads up to a, a rather interesting twist that I won't I, I won't mention. Um, but uh, it is um, it's great and it's thrilling to watch. Uh, and it also is uh, it will push your your 2023 levels of acceptance to the brink um but you just have to keep keep in mind this is 87 this came out of japan this is a sort of you know an underground project so you know um be prepared to to get rocked <laughs> <laughs> but uh but anyway i highly recommend this movie oh the the other thing i wanted to say like for our listeners that are women i mean it is a male narrative like it's a male narrative the way from russia with love is the way the odyssey is like it it mainly it has powerful women in it but um the it's all from the man's point of view so you know expect that going into it um and uh and then um you're on your own um i know a couple other people saw this um i get your thoughts first before i weigh in What, what did you guys think well, I literally just finished watching it 20 minutes before uh, we came on here. And uh, anime is not my bag. Uh, I have very little experience in watching anime. Having said that, I found myself quite enjoying the film. Uh, sexual uh, relations and someone turning into a spider. And I'm going, I'm in. Sold. I'm, I'm watching this film. <laughs> but... I, I really like. The, there was a, a serious attempt at character development, and even though I didn't always understand all these worlds and things that were going on, I, I kind of enjoyed the ride. You know, there was, there was obvious good guys and bad guys, or were there? And sometimes that line was kind of blurred. Mm-hmm. And, and by the end, I kind of felt like I was uh, following kind of an action movie, like a a, a sexier action movie, and I really didn't know where it was going to go. Uh, which I which I really liked, and I thought that the uh, uh, the one guy, one character, I forget his name, the the small guy, Giuseppe, yeah, Giuseppe, Giuseppe, going to those 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 Japanese parlors, shall we say, <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and and then but but then there were attempts at body horror within an anime, which I thought were pretty cool. I, I would definitely recommend this film. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, if if you're into sort of 
body horror mixed with cosmic horror, you probably will dig this. Like I, I was, we were just joking about it online, but there, <laughs> my editor sent me a book that she made. I, I unfortunately I didn't contribute to it, but uh, it's called Less Craftian Horrors. <laughs> And it's um, it's erotic horror based on the mythos of H.P. Lovecraft. And um, uh, this uh, movie has a lot of similar imagery than the, some of the stories in that book. So <laughs> you may want to go pick that up. It's not too bad. So I like that Victor says, if, if you're into body horror and sexiness, and you're probably going to, I thought for sure he was going, you're probably going to be into hentai. <laughs> Yeah, this almost is at certain points. It, it gets really close. It borders close, um, yeah. and it's. Uh, he also said that if you're a female, that this gets a little rough at times. That's not the R word that I was thinking of. I was thinking rape. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I just think like nobody. There's two agents, right? There's uh, Taki, who's the guy, yeah. and Makie, who's the the woman, and it, it it seems to never be from her perspective even though she's half of the team that's that's putting this it would be together. horrifying it was from her perspective given that she is right like, yeah. sexually abused for most of this film but let's be honest right. they make uh Machia, they make her to be the badass honestly yeah she's she's the badass of the two like the uh you know um taki has the men in black gun the noisy cricket yeah that that pushes right. them across the room when he shoots it uh, but I am an anime guy. Bill said he wasn't, so I was enthralled literally from the word go when I realized it was. I texted you guys earlier and I said, "Is this an anime?" Because <laughs> I was confused. <laughs> I, I didn't know anyone had picked an anime, and I was so excited when I watched it because I I'd never heard of it and I wanted to see it. And yeah, um, other than yeah, other than the little Giuseppe dude, which I don't understand why his name's Giuseppe, but I was down. <laughs> I, I don't get that either. And also, mine art. <laughs> This is last name, which yeah, is not particularly just, Italian. No. <laughs> it made me laugh when towards the end they're sitting in a car and they're kind of looking into each other's eyes. And then there's like romantic sub music going on in the background. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Yeah, is yeah. this Kenny Loggins? What is going on here? <laughs> I know that there are some odd tones in it that seem uh, yeah. in- inappropriate, but, uh, but yeah, I, that's just part of the, I mean, I think that happens quite a bit in anime where you're just like, Ooh, that was a little rough, but, uh, it but think of this era of been. anime. I don't think right. you see it as much these days, um, but, but you know what though? I would still like put this in the vein of the um, the sword and sorcerer type of animation, even though it's an anime and it's coming out of uh, Japan. I assume um, yes. the 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 set and the story and all that kind of stuff is still very sword and sorcery. You know, it's, they're still on a quest to do something, so on and so forth. And right. as far as the sexuality goes, it's this is a little over the top compared to like heavy metal and some of the other sword and sorcery ones, but not too far in the way that they did rotoscoping for spine of night just came out last year. So two years ago. So I, I, this is a strong recommend for me. Yeah, me too. Um, And yeah, I, I would say it's so highly stylized that I was able to like, this would have been a, a, an almost impossible to watch situation for me if it were live action, but everything else is exactly the same in the movie. Cause it's just so horrific um, yeah. in, in, in its action. But the fact that it's animated and, um, and also that the, the, you know, the lead character typical of this type of thing seems to be kind of blase 
And, um, you know, that sort of le- puts it in fantasy uh, mode when I when I watch it. And I really wasn't that disturbed by uh, by by the action, although some people might be. So be warned. And, and what I was going to say, was I the only one that picked up uh, some hints of uh, film noir? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Totally, yeah, I, I think that's the, the, the basic genre. So to go off of two things that Victor said, um, and, and, and great respect to Victor, uh, I didn't care for this anime, but here's one of the reasons. When Victor mentioned this in the in our like thread and said, this is the movie, and I said, oh, great pick, uh, it's because I actually have seen the live-action version of this in 92. And unsurprisingly, they cut most of the sexual content because, as Victor says, it would be really hard to watch. Uh, because most of that content is actually sexual violence against women. Oh, yeah, it's abuse. Um, sure. Yeah, 100% abuse. Um, and uh, but the film, the '92 film, is a is is almost like a Sam Raimi esque like wild mm. movie that keeps the noir, keeps the partnership between the characters, and then has adds in crazy things. So, so you have a scene where a guy's having sex with a pinball machine because it's a shapeshifter. I mean, that's the kind of stuff. There's a part where the girl turns into a motorcycle and the guy jumps on the back and rides her down the street. Uh, it's a wild movie in its own right. I highly recommend it, but because it kept the noir, it kept the basic storyline, which is actually very strong. It's a very well-written story, right? Like the mm-hmm. the gist of what's happening with the brokerage of the peace between the two sides and how that happens is actually pretty cleverly put together, I think. And I like these characters. The anime, though, kind of loosens me because when they pair these two together, I'm like, oh, cool, you know, to go back to the X-Files, you get the X-Files vibe. But then imagine if Mulder and Scully, Scully gets kidnapped by cigarette-smoking man, and he and the rest of those old dudes take her in a back room while Mulder stands there, kind of blasé, and tries to negotiate. And meanwhile, say, like, his buddy Deep Throat is making jokes about, <laughs> you know, that's a lot to swallow. I bet she's got a lot of work to do. Put it into that perspective. So yeah. that stuff lost me. I was not into that at all. Uh, that's a not sexy for me. But the the opening scene's a doozy. Like, and the design, and I, I you, it's this, uh, Victor and I are talking about this. The lighting is not the right word, but the way that the film is shot and the color palette and everything creates this very moody, noir sheen on the film but you can introduce this character like you guys say she's the other agent she's supposed to be this character that has her own agency but that's not how she's used in the plot and that just sunk the movie for me so mm-hmm. yeah. uh, i would say seek out the live action movie for people that are hearing this and thinking i don't know if that's for me even though you guys are saying there's some interesting stuff the live action movie sort of for me corrected those problems and because i saw that one first this was a big step back yeah no that's fair couple last thoughts for me uh, one did in the opening scene did you immediately get thoughts of 1987's blood diner and shitar no not immediately uh, <laughs> not for yeah, me yes I'm, I'm the only one then all right <laughs> move on uh, the second thing is is are you familiar with uh, todd mcfarland's spawn series that came out in the early 90s yes yeah. and i feel there there's definitely um I was thinking about that, that McFarlane, I'm like, okay, you saw Wicked City probably yeah. at some point. Okay. All right. And, uh, and then the last thing was, is uh, I still find it sexy. So, <laughs> okay. So that's one sexy one, not sexy bill, uh, bill and Victor. I found it sexy. Um, now part of that's my naivety towards the genre. Cause when I first watched the first five minutes, I was like, is this how most anime are? 
I, I, I don't know. Uh, At that time frame, yeah, a lot. Like, uh, there, there's a lot of – they're more sophisticated than a lot of people think they are. At least the some of the TV series is varying degrees of that. But in some of these films of, of this type, yeah, they're, they they tend to have complicated stories. It, you know, Nathan, because, that's, that's one of the downfalls of, of anime is people – automatically take it down a peg because it's animated when obviously yeah. they shouldn't because the storylines are, are usually right. just as good if not better yeah this stands but, on its own without the obviously yeah but, but the reason I, I considered it sexy is one there's the, the the funny sexiness of the one character uh but the other part is you know there was always a sexual tension i found yes. between the characters and that was pervasive throughout the film and that's handled pretty well i'll give you that bill yeah. and that and their scene towards later in the film and how it ties into the overall like plot was handled well that that's not part of what i'm talking there's a there's a for me there's fundamentally a major scene in the middle that i'm like okay i'm out but yeah but then what i liked is you know there'll be some sort of you know either deep-seated personal interaction between the two and then some kind of weird body horror will happen and you're like what yeah yeah. You know, so that that was kind of the appeal to me for it. You know. Yeah, and uh, I would say sexy. Very cool. Okay, so we've got uh, we've done Infinity Pool, we've done Wicked City, Mister Bench. Yes, sir. Uh, give us one of your two movies, and, and and just explain to the audience why you wanted to choose the Greasy Strangler. <laughs> oh, because it's so greasy and gorgeously shot. And it's all about, and, and it is all about the grease. I should have picked the greasy strangler. It was on my short I'm, list. I'm grateful you, you didn't, Greg. Thank you. I know, I know. It's 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 been it's been tapped out. It's been squeezed of all the <laughs> grease. <sighs> so of course, I will start with uh, a 1990 classic, and it is called. Frankenhooker, and it's uh it's actually just a nice loosely based retelling of the frankenstein story um here we have uh, jeffrey franken who uh accidentally uh kills his not intentionally but kills his his fiance by a, with a lawnmower and and her name is elizabeth she's played by patty mullen and he ultimately wants to bring her back a a la Frankenstein style. And he works for the New Jersey gas and electric company. And I'm telling you, I work in the gas company. And if, if I had this level of knowledge, I don't think I'd be working with gas <laughs> or electric, but he does manage to, you know, uh, bring her back but uh, there's plenty of hilarity plenty of nudity plenty of uh, a little bit of everything and I, I, I feel like I kind of came late to the game on this movie I had always seen the poster um, but I always just kind of glanced over it skimmed past it until finally somebody goes I'm telling you you're gonna this is your kind of a movie Greg and I'm like well okay um Yes, it is, but it's like, man, if I would have been like 14, well, let's see, when this movie came out, I was 12. So let's just say I saw it when I was 13. This definitely would have been right up my alley <laughs> at age 13 because there's a, a lot of the female persuasion throughout the movie. Um, 
but basically, you know, for Jeff Jeffrey to uh, obtain the body parts, he has a change <laughs> of heart, but he has this super crack <laughs> that he makes and he hires all these hookers. And of course, you know, he can't decide. He's checked out all these various women's bodies from various parts and he's leaving check marks on them. And he's like, writing, you know, making this huge list, but he can't decide, but they find his drugs. And ultimately he gets the parts that he needed to uh, bring back Elizabeth. And I, I don't know. There's just something, just something about this movie that just, it, it, it's very rib tickling. And um, it's all in Patty Mullins um, characterizations, if you will. She absolutely electrifies the screen when she's playing this pseudo hooker that continues to ask if guys want a date. Do you have any money? Do you want a date? And it's it's I, I don't know. I could keep talking about it. It's just funny. But. If you watch the trailer, she does this thing with her with her lip, and her eyes go up, and it's like she's being shocked, I, like the the electricity it, it is zapping is, through her body. Yeah, and it's just so. It's like I should get that in a poster because it just very endearing every time I see it. It is, it is, it's totally endearing, and it's and it's like I don't know. It's just this confidence that she brought to the role of this very. Um, ludicrous over-the-top retelling of the frankenstein story with a lots of lots of boobs and legs and sexuality if you will so that's that's all i have i'm guessing you're going sexy on this one greg i i yeah Yeah. oh yeah i mean this is this is again i feel that inner child within me that's just like this is it greg this was this would have been like on on repeat, you probably would have burned up the VHS. <laughs> and, 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 and I was going to say, inside your head, were you going, "Ooh, boobies"? <laughs> hey, you know, every every I think every grown man has that inner child every once in a while that, like, you know, I do every every oh, time I see I him, I go, "Ooh, boobies!" Every, every time. Ooh. <laughs> I'm not quite so vocal about it, but yes, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's always there. My, my wife walks that, in the room, and I'm like, "Hey." <laughs> I'll, I'll say that with Jen beside me. Hey, boobies! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Frank and Frank and Hooker is a fun movie, and it's a funny movie, and I like Hatton Lauder movies in general. But this one is it? It's 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 kind of like actually cute in a way. Like you know, it's it's very like kind of cheerful in a in a certain like gross sense. You know, like yeah. it's uh oh, it, yeah. it, it's it's not meant to be taken very seriously. It's definitely a comedy most of the time. It's not like hardcore horror. Um, but Patty Mullen is the whole reason it kind of works in a sense. Like she's just having a lot of fun in that role. And I, I love that bit you're talking about, Bill, where the lip goes, uh, not Bill, sorry, Greg, where the lip goes up and she, you know, she just like, she's getting shocked and it just happens at these most like weirdest <laughs> moments. And I love too, that they kind of keep, you know, these stories have a, usually these Frankenstein story has a very normal bent where it goes and we, we know it's going to end in tragedy and they take a different, they take a different <laughs> tact here. I love the last shot of this movie is, is so great. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. I, I like it. And she, she is pretty sexy. She's, uh, you know, it, it is definitely made. He's made this movie for an age. But he knows he's making a movie that's 
probably skewing a little bit younger than what the actual rating on the box is going to say. And he knows people are going to are, are, are going to try and sneak this movie out of the video store, right? And watch it, you know, without their parents or see it on late night cable. It's almost designed. Oh, for sure. Um, there's another movie that someone else has on this list. It's almost designed the same way. And I think it, it, it hits about the same spots. But yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. This was my first time watch. And wow, oh, it nice. was. And like, I knew Hen and Lauder. I'd seen Basket Case. I'd seen Brain Damage. And for whatever reason, it just had slipped by. So I looked forward to watching it. And I got to say, I came in with tempered expectations because knowing Hen and Lauder, I know he's you know, on the lower end of budget. He tries to stretch a dollar, you know. But this this was a lot of fun. And I was really impressed. Much better writing and effects than expected. Yeah. Were the effect were the effects Rick Baker? No, but they, they were, were better than yeah. they were better than you know they were more than passable. When that super crack uh, takes effect, man, it, it, it yeah that that scene in the crack. that scene yeah. in the hotel room it, when he, when he's talking to the pimp and he goes you know I need six or seven <laughs> of your best girls <laughs> and I want to play doctor like I just smiled the whole time <laughs> and I made a note. The, uh, one of them was wearing a really great pointy purple bra, <laughs> like Madonna had nothing on her, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know that's gonna that that's gonna come come along with the ensemble later on, right? <laughs> and yeah. you know, there's a nice twist towards the end. They obviously put a little time into the writing, it, you know. It, it, you know, it, this is this was just a blast. I, I absolutely love. It. Thanks, Greg, for choosing this one because uh, and. It, and of course, the pimp's Zora. name is Zora. <laughs> that was so weird. So that only, so that only adds to the adds to the yeah. mystique. Yeah, yeah and so. yeah, but I mean, I love a good, uh, you know, mad scientist film. But uh, I kept expecting, you know, some humpback guy to walk down the stairs or something. But th- this was a lot of fun. Yeah, highly recommend. I got all the parts in all the right places. If you haven't seen, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm a Hen and Lauder fan, so I love Basket Case. Uh, I love Brain Damage, yes. so this is one of my not so guilty pleasures that gets played way too often in my house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I absolutely adore this film. Um, yeah, this here's Jeffrey. He wants to play Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go. I want to go to the hardware store that sells that lawnmower. That lawnmower? That <laughs> well, whatever. Scene, no, no, I'm just agreeing with you. That lawnmower <laughs> scene, it's like I, that that sets everything into motion. It's just so ridiculous. I mean, because it, it reminded me more of a snowblower than yeah, it did a lawnmower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that uh, when he's like, when he hits his like, um, what's it called? Like a uh, writer's block, but like his for his invention block, he takes the drill and like drills into it. That was yeah. crazy. <laughs> you know, when you earlier in this year, I remember uh, Vic and I were watching it, like Yule Log, the Dalt Swim movie and all these weird, like transgressive things that they do. It's like, uh, and Lauder was doing this kind of crap years before any of them. This is completely absurdist sort of, weird gory but comedic you know you never know how to take it exactly well and the other thing i noticed is was anybody else could you you know could you have uh sexual relations in that bathroom oh <laughs> god there was a couple the of guys a problem with it the, the, the guy was the guy was banging away in that stall and you're like uh, you can see the graffiti the grime the oh, that's his, that's his watching. trademark though i mean look at bra- brain damage has like it's just grody hey, from beginning yeah, to end yeah oh and basket case that, no that I, I like all the movies greg but you have to admit that 
like grodiness is a part of what he's going yeah, I mean, for. That, he's trying to make these New York as please, man. That yeah, New York yeah. Yeah. And anybody that ever comes up with uh, like something to ask me, like, well, give me a weird film. I always bring up Basket Case because there's no other film that was shot for like eight dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> right <laughs> it's like you know, here this boglin is my main creature yet it's just like rubbery thing that, it has a yeah. weird stop motion uh like bitch fit in the middle of it where they start throwing like tvs and shit and then yeah. there's another yeah. scene where belial's like going at it with the girl oh, oh it's just it's it is like that is as masterpiece but, but there are scenes in basket case where uh, you're, you're, the guy is talking to the, uh, person at the hotel, the front desk guy, and you know, it's made to look like, and then the elevators of it, it's like some guy's living room that they made up to look like, yeah, it, yeah. it's like, uh, uh, I think they said it was like a 10 by 12 area that they made up to be the elevator, the, the hallway and the reception area. <laughs> like, yeah. That is, that's ingenuity. Um, uh, Victor, have you seen this one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like this uh, and I like Basket Case, too. Um, but uh, yeah, Hennen Lauder uh, knows what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys all said it said it all. Uh, but um, yeah, every time you have sex workers in a movie, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> every time. There yeah, probably are exceptions, it, uh, but let's not try to find them. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was going to say, I want to party with those girls. They are a blast. Yeah. Literally. Literally. Yeah, Literally. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Positively electrifying. But we should ask if we think it's sexy. Frank and Hooker, I'm guessing everyone thought, yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely (laughs) sexy. Yeah. Did you have anything to add about Frank and Hooker, Dave? (laughs) No, I haven't. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, but I'm a fan of that movie. Absolutely. All right. So my first film. Well, let's go in order. Let's, let's go uh, <laughs> way back, way, way back. Long, long time ago in a galaxy yeah. far, far away. <laughs> let's go with Flesh Gordon. And uh, why not? Yeah, I got a chance to rewatch this one. And yeah, I'm, I look, the performances in Flesh Gordon are not strong. They're just not. <laughs> what? You mean you're not a big fan of you're not a big fan of Emperor Wang? That's not your. Keep reminding me of the pallbearer from like the Undertaker. Emperor Wang might be one of the best performances. That's a good point. Yeah, it's true. Very true. I think I think Emperor Wang is one of the best performances in this film. Yeah, Uh, and and when you look at his uh, resume, he's probably the the most vetted actor of all of them. He was he was in Critters Three. He was in Chaplin, and he was in Dragonfly. Wow. What a prestigious career. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a prestigious career that is. All so right. I was going to say, Dave, did you did you care who won the battle? Did you <laughs> want him to know if he won? Uh, yeah, I cared a little bit. I didn't care a lot. <laughs> This is the one I got a chance to rewatch because it's been the, this is the longest of the two movies I picked. This is the one that was the longest that I, that since I had seen it. So I got a chance to rewatch it. All right. So let me just pull up flesh Gordon here. 
Yeah, I don't think I'd seen this movie since like 1996 or something like that. It was a long time. It was a long time since I've seen Flesh Gordon. And man, yeah, not a strong movie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) While you're pulling that up, I will say, Dave, one thing that was interesting about this, because it was sold as an adult film, it was, you know, Mm -hmm. it did get an X rating and all that, just an X rating. It wasn't, you know, excessively hardcore. By today's standards, I don't even know if it would have an X rating. But the, um, I love that at the very beginning, they have this like title card that pops up and they're just like trying to remember. Remind everyone we're really respectful of where you know they talk about yeah. like the the they, they, the origins of Flash that. Gordon and and we're yes. really uh, this is an homage we have nothing but respect for Flash Gordon understand this is not the original content. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I what I liked it in the middle of the film, all of a sudden outbursts a musical number. I like that musical <laughs> number a little bit. <laughs> Flash Gordon is dead. Oh, they started yeah. singing and dancing, and you're like. I didn't see this. I'd like it better if Queen had done it, but it's odd that there have been two Flash Gordon films and both of them contained entire songs. <laughs> the pyramid during that scene was uh, something was else. Something. <laughs> well, I, I will say that Wang has some unique robots. <laughs> the drills are, you know, interestingly yeah, placed. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yes. The drills. <laughs> but did anyone else think, though, that the, the, there was some actually some decent like CGI, not CGI, a stop motion. Like the stop motion wasn't terrible. Um, the stop motion was not terrible. It's not Ray Harryhausen. No, but it it would have been quite impressive in an actual Buck Rod or not Buck Rogers Flash Gordon serial back in the day. Like it would have. Yeah. Uh, oh, definitely. I, I mean, it's right up there with um with uh oh the gate. Like, like it's not that far off. <laughs> it's a second, yeah. It's like the second tier. <laughs> I don't know about yeah. that, Bill. <laughs> well, we're thinking 1974 versus 1984. Oh, yeah, so yeah. And yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you all you all know who worked on the effects was Rick Baker. Did Rick Baker did the stop motion as well? Rick, Rick well, I don't know about the stop. He did the. Uh, he was on the part of the effects team of this movie. Wow. They were responsible for the penosaurus. <laughs> Uh, some, some variety of penosaurus, I believe. Like, like this. Of course, his name's Flexi Jerkoff, so I believe that he would know about penosauruses. Yes. Doctor Jerkoff. Every time, every time, Flesh Gordon says Jerkoff. <laughs> he looked. That actor playing Jerkoff looked high as a kite the entire movie. Oh my <laughs> god! I, I like. I, I, I like. They're flying off on their spaceship, and you're, they're just getting it going. And you like the erect penis is flying, and he goes, "We're entering the Moronosphere." they definitely thought some of those jokes were funnier than they they actually were i think it's ming ship towards the end did anyone think that looked like a like a wireless mouse like i was like this is very weird (laughs) oh that's the red ship sort of comes into the isn't that the that's the forest people one isn't it yeah 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 i'm sorry it's a forest people i guess it's not ming ship yeah to be fair greg i don't know how how much of the plot i was following accurately (laughs) (laughs) The, the the other thing the other thing I was actually impressed with was the choreography of the fight scenes. Like th- there was a lot of battles, I mean battles in quotation marks, but uh you know, like they weren't just diving onto each other. Like there was some right. choreography that took place. Well, there was some diving that took place too. 
<laughs> attempted attempted diving attempted lesson. yeah i don't know what was going on in the porn industry at that time i, I can only I, i'm putting together the fake pieces that i've seen in boogie nights and uh in that hbo show the deuce about how certain like artistic filmmakers were coming up in the porn industry and wanted to make real films but also featuring pornography. We, we just saw a movie last year that was on most of our top 10 list that in which the character was trying to make an art film filled with porno. Wow. Well, one of my favorite lines is, uh, I said the ship was impressive. Most parts from Sears catalog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's clear that they have actually studied the actual like Flash Gordon serials. There's this one scene when they're going through, I don't know, when, when they're going through the water system and you see them swimming along and it's Dale and the flesh and they're going through. And and it looks like an old silent film, right? It looks like a George Melies movie or something, the way yeah. mm-hmm. uh, the, the compositions like and the the giant beast towards the end that Ming brings to life and, or Wang, sorry, <laughs> brings to life. And it's a uh, voice by Craig T. Nelson, who, who yes. clearly they brought him in and like, here, here's a couple slices of pizza. Record this for me. That's what got me is that Craig T. Nelson does the voice for that creature at the end. <laughs> and it's hilarious. It is. <laughs> that might be my favorite section of the movie. <laughs> Although when the movie, when the movie starts, was I the only one that thought, Hey, I'm watching Airplane. <laughs> yeah, it, it's that it's that yeah. kind of thing, really. It, it is a spoof yeah. in every sense. It's a, you know, these days when people say, I'm making an adult spoof, they're just characters having sex wearing the costumes of whatever thing they're doing. But these people were legitimately trying to make a movie. And uh, these days, they make a raunchy spoof. I mean, it's not that much raunchier than any of those, <laughs> those movies. Yeah. Or the monster at the end. He's got the girl in his hand. And he goes, I just want to look at your tits. <laughs> let's take this off here i want to look at your pants. Yeah, i'll just pull it off it reminded me of like um uh humanoids of the deep where the, the thing just touches her shirt and it falls off like it's the same oh, kind yeah. of deal. <laughs> right and 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 yes that movie is amazing because those creatures can pull the side off of a human being off of a guy but they go up to a girl and just touch her and yep her top falls off. They're trying to be delicate. They're learning to be yes. sensitive. You know. <laughs> yes. Exactly. You're a fish guy, and you want to get a date. You got to finesse it. It's, it's exactly. all ruining them. Hello. They're looking yeah. to mate with human women in in uh, humanoids from the deep. Anyway, Flesh Gordon is so good that we're reviewing humanoids of the deep tonight. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's how good this movie is. Emperor Wang the Perverted, played by William Hunt. Not to be confused with William Hurt ever, ever, ever. I was no, but did, no, no, but did you notice it's William Dennis Hunt? There must have been another William Hunt. <laughs> we had to include that. The Dennis is important. I did a double take. Yeah. I thought it said William Hurt at first. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, no, and, and that, I'm no, sure that was William no, Hunt. William, at, at William Hurt's first movie parties. was um, oh God, what was Altered that? States. Altered yeah, States, yeah, Altered yes. States, yeah. That was William Hurt's first movie, yeah, yes. Yeah. Anyway, Emperor Wang the Perverted, played by William Hunt, ruler of the planet Porno, <laughs> is bombarding Earth with his sex ray, turning the entire population into horny sex fiends. When the plane they're traveling on is struck by the ray, Flesh Gordon, played by Jason Williams, and Dale Arder. <laughs> 
Suzanne Fields. They didn't try too hard there. <laughs> no, they didn't try hard at all. <laughs> uh, grab a parachute and jump to safety. Landing just outside the laboratory of Dr. Flexi Jerkoff. <laughs> they tried a little harder there. No yeah, pun intended. a little harder there, played by Joseph Hudgens. Um, hoping to stop Wang's attack, Dr. Jerkoff has built a rocket ship and convinces Flesh and Dale to join him as he blasts off into space. The moment the trio land on porno, they're taken prisoner and dragged before the Emperor, who immediately falls for Dale. As for Flesh, he's caught the eye of Wang's queen, Aurora, <laughs> played by Nora... Something, something, something. Wiener Nick? Uh, yeah, something like that. Wiener sounds right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Wiener, let's go Wiener Neck. I like it. Go. Okay. <laughs> Who, following a brief fling, helps our hero escape. After, es- after befriending the effeminate Prince Precious, <laughs> played by uh, Lance Larson. My God, that scene. I didn't see that one coming. Where, where Flesh is like, what can I do to pay you back? Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I, I, don't, I didn't remember that part from when I was a kid. I was like, wait a minute. What, did that just happen? You saw this when you were a kid? Yeah, I should probably should say that out loud. I was like way too young to see this movie. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, after that scene, Flesh sets his sights on destroying Wang's dreaded ray. But will he do so in time <laughs> to save the Earth? It's a nail biter. This movie is insane. <laughs> it is that. It is absolutely. And you forgot about the like subterranean lesbians, like the 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 oh, gal yeah. who's scratching her boobs with her giant hook hand. I didn't forget. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been the yeah. That, That's the most ironic part for me. Yeah. God. God bless seventies yeah, boobs. The act. And yeah, you had the lesbians, <laughs> and then you had Craig D. Nelson's uh, killer. Uh, what was that? Looked like the Cyclops from fucking uh, what? Class. Yeah, it was a boot. Like it yeah. was the Wish version of the Cyclops from Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Yeah. Is what it was. But, yeah. but he was. De- but that's my favorite part of this movie. Yeah, if I'm being honest, <laughs> I loved that scenes. The, those scenes with Craig T. Nelson voicing that creature. <laughs> we have to say above everything, it's not politically correct. Of course, it's not. This no. is the film. Did did anyone else think of Futurama and Death by Snoo Snoo though? You mean during that sequence? Yeah, during that. Sequence. Yeah, yeah. And then Dale's like, "No, no!" And I'm like, really? "You're not protesting that much." And the girl's like, "Like it's a pendulum." They're just like, wah, wah, wah. "So wild." This movie's so good. I don't care what you guys say. <laughs> So, so my funny story, I had an uncle who loves these kinds of like goofy camp movies. I mean, he had like only a small collection of VHS movies and he had two kinds of movies he loved. Like he's the same person recommended Woman in the Dunes to me. These high art movies are now on Criterion. And then one day, like, I guess I got to the certain age. He was like, hey, Nathan, he just sticks the VHS of Flesh Gordon in my backpack. It's like, don't tell my parents, don't tell your parents I'll let you borrow that. And I remember like about 10, 15 years later, I was somewhere and his, one of his nephews was over and he's giving him the VHS. I'm like, Is that, are you still passing out Flesh Gordon? <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's, it is what it is, right? Yeah, amazing. Yeah. 
Uh, amazing. I gotta say though, I I, I think that uh, uh, you know because I did see the other Flash Gordon, the 1980s PG rated. <laughs> I, I wish some of those costumes had been incorporated into this movie. I think that movie is oh, a yeah. sexier movie than this one. Um, what I love about the 1980s Flash Gordon is that uh, the producer originally wanted Federico Fellini to direct that film. Oh, that would have been amazing. You would have you would have had imagine. that you'd have had the pendulous breast back in. Yes. There you're back a in. Fellini, <laughs> a Fellini 1980 Flash Gordon. Wow. How cool would that have been? Yeah. I want the Queen soundtrack from Flash Gordon on Flesh Gordon. The, I have the uh 45 single. I wonder, <laughs> can you do like you do with uh, the Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon? Sync them up. I don't know, but the plots are very similar. I mean, they do yeah. stick to the plot of Flash Gordon in this in this basic storyline. Here, it's not very far off from the the eighties film, and some of the sequences no, have the same. There's still a sense of kind of that childlike innocence. Anything not involving again, like the lesbian induction ceremony or whatever that was, or yeah, the the right. multiple whatever orgy scenes, yeah. which are very frantic, right? Like it's just people trying to grab whatever they can get their hands on. <laughs> it looks very uncomfortable. It doesn't is, look is sexy there, at all. Is, it's like, is there, is there a strong performance outside of Craig T. Nelson in Flesh Gordon? No, I can't say there is. No, I, the Penasaurus is. Uh, I thought they were very. Uh, they're very uh, <laughs> gave a very focused and and. Uh, and, and and, and did you notice they were one-eyed penosaurus? <laughs> yeah, okay. I was waiting for it. Did anyone was waiting for him to spit? They never did. Uh, they, <laughs> they must have been Jewish penosauruses because they look like they were trimmed. <laughs> 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 All right, man. Fast flesh garden, everyone. <laughs> right. Yeah. To it, close on it, the, just it. It is what it is. Now, and now, is it safe to assume everybody thinks it's sexy? I, I don't know, really. I mean, I, it's just a comedy. It's I don't know that. Well, uh, Dale Ar- Dale Arder yeah. gets her clothes ripped off every second scene. I mean, things that are supposed to be sexy happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the final scene. She, you still see Bush as they're flying away. <laughs> like the final. This, the scenes are all shot so haphazardly, though. It's just like it's it's weird to see a movie that was made for the adult market. But honestly, like when I saw this movie, I mentioned my like uncle giving it to me, like. I he gave it to me as a kind of a lark, like, oh, check this out. It's kind of funny and it's body, and I enjoyed it at that. But if I had been like somebody who was like, Yeah, porn, I would have been super disappointed. You were expecting Caligula yeah, and you got it's, black it's, porn. It's not porn. Yeah, it's yeah. not oh, I think there's one scene where yeah. Dr. Jerkoff's ship flies through the sex ray. Yeah. When they're heading to the planet of porno <laughs> where things get a little uh, out Dr. of hand. Jerkoff and Flash end up having sort of a threesome with Dale. Uh, that might be the, 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 the single sexiest scene in the movie. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I, I, I'll, I'll still say for pure boobage, it's sexy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's not. I just think that actually the 80s movie's hotter. <laughs> I, I'm just saying the lady with the hook and the metal leg was... <laughs> I, I want a spinoff. I'll give oh, you yeah. that, Greg. I want a spinoff with her. As, uh, just the, the... Yes. Yeah, but I'll be. But I agree with you, Nathan. I think that 1980s Flash Gordon. It messed me up way more in that, that way. Sexier <laughs> yeah. than Flash Gordon. I agree with you 100. And the and the I, costumes are actually kinkier. Even Brian yeah. Blessed looks like he's running a Seattle BDSM, you know, uh, like a <laughs> bear dom uh, kind of scenario there. Oh. I, I I want a reboot 50 years later. Return of the Penosaurus. 
<laughs> there was a sequel in the 80s um actually uh, to this movie i never did saw they it make the second did they make that second flesh gordon movie yeah i think so i want to it, it was uh, flesh gordon and the, uh, the cheerleaders from mars or something like that. i don't know what it was <laughs> called but i remember the 80s um, were a very different time yeah for porn. flesh gordon meets the cosmic cheerleaders it's a 1990 wow. sex comedy i'm sure it was amazing oh, i'm pretty sure that's the one that had the boob planet <laughs> it was only a matter of time, right? Well, let me just tell you, uh, years ago, um, it was before um, uh, what Joel Robertson's newest podcast. Retro Movie Geek? Retro Movie Geek, yes. It was back when he was still doing Forgotten Flicks. Yeah. That they had a Twitter sort of live watch of Flash Gordon from 1980. And at the exact moment that Brian Blessed's character goes, Gordon, you know, dive. Yeah, Hawkman dive. Brian Blessed himself sent a tweet at that exact moment saying, dive. (laughs) That's awesome. That's amazing. (laughs) How cool is that? That Brian Blessed was watching along. With the Forgotten Flicks crew. Dude, he embraces that. Like, he, there's those people that are like, oh, I was in this movie from years ago. Ryan Blessed says that that is the most fun he ever had in a movie was playing that hawk. Dude, man. you can tell. He is a Shakespeare yeah. actor. Yeah. He was an I Claudius in the mid, what was that, 76? <laughs> yeah. That, that, He's wearing bondage straps and giant wings and a, and a mace. And he, he's on strings. He's yes. like, on strings. <laughs> And yeah. Brian Bless said that that was the most fun he ever had acting was appearing in Flash Gordon. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something to be said, I think, for, like, let's say um, if you're a listener of the show and you want to watch one of the movies we talk about with a date that may maybe like your first or second date. Um God bless your, you. Maybe your third date. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, this might be a pretty good call because there's uh, it's very light. You know, yeah, I think yeah. I think comedy is a really good, uh, I don't know, background. And to by have. today's standards, it's kind of mild, honestly. I mean, we're not. It really yeah. is. But, but would, you, would you call this yeah. comedy slash fantasy? Slash yeah. sci-fi? It's yeah. everything the original Flash Gordon was minus the comedy and the sex. But to be honest, the old Flash Gordon serials, they had a lot of uh, they had a lot more women getting spanked than even this film did. So I'm just saying. <laughs> the, the one thing that I found interesting was the trivia behind this. That's the, the uh, special effects artist, Rick Baker, Jim Danforth, David Allen, and Dennis Mirren. They were yeah. they're, they're amazing effects artists. And that it was almost nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, these, Worst uh, movies have won Academy Awards and Flesh Gordon. <laughs> well, the thing I found interesting in that little thing is they would have gotten an Academy Award nomination, but there weren't enough films that did decent special effects to have the award. <laughs> that didn't have as good effects as this film. But but honestly, that battle when he's battling the metallic bug or whatever that's clearly supposed to be the the send up of like the battle yes. with the skeletons, like that right. looks great. Like the way it's it integrated really looks good. It looks. The special effects in this film, I think, are pretty outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. You you put them beside any movie from that era. And yeah. they they hold up. I think what we're they saying really is you're you're surprised to find that it's an actual movie. I wish that yeah. the the mainstream spoofs that are released this day 
I wish they put this much effort into those movies. Like all right. those insert a word before movie, date movie, and all that crap. I mean, I wish yeah. they put the level of effort I, that went I, into Flesh Gordon. I mean, you, you yeah. see X-rated, and you know another movie of that era that made a lot of money was like Deep Throat. You think that's what you're getting, and it is not what you're oh, getting. No. Well, let's remember, too, that certain movies like Taxi Driver and Phantasm at one point had X ratings. You know, I mean, yeah. this is not really, uh, like, no. it's it's not particularly, um, it's, you know. It, 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 I mean, I mean let, let's be real. There's lots of nudity, but it's. I, I wouldn't say casual nudity, but it's it's not the drive. Pretty force. casual. <laughs> well, <Wow. laughs> <laughs> things are hanging out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think Dale Larder is dressed maybe what twenty percent of this movie. It's true. That was a fun pick. I was fun to revisit it, honestly. And I see my <laughs> see my uncle tomorrow, and I'm going to mention him. Hey, we talked about you last night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, lovingly, 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 yeah, yep. All right, right. Bill, how about one of your movies? God help us. Okay, to take it to another direction. I think I did the film, other than perhaps yours, Nathan, that had the least amount of nudity. Yes, possibly. (laughs) In the film. But just, you know, to pull the curtain back for the listeners, I picked two films basically based on descriptions that I had never seen because I'm always looking to expand my library of films. And uh, we'll talk about the differences between the two uh, later in the episode. But the one that I pulled off first is called Amur. What you pulled off? <laughs> pulled off. Oh, Bill Van Fagel as the art house. Yeah. Purely by accident, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but, but see, I, I go from highbrow to lowbrow between two films. Right. Now, this is 2009's. I had seen the poster for a long time. The poster is awesome. It, it almost harkens back to old Giallos. Right. And... Uh, it is one that I had on my radar. I just, another one of those ones that, you know, it's on your queue and you never get the chance to pull it in. And this is Amur. And it's only an, an hour 30. It's not going to tax your time. IMDb gives it a 6.1, which is a fairly decent rating. And the description is, as a young girl, Anna was a d- rebellious child. She was also tormented by images of death and a shadowy, ominous figure in black. Now an adult, she is once again tormented by shadowy, otherworldly forms. I would say this is a film that's sexy in the way that the ambiance, the atmosphere built, the direction that it takes, the way that it's directed, it almost lends itself to sexuality right. without actually showing it. Which, which, well, which I, actually I, is the sexiest form of sexuality because... Your yeah. mind has to go there. Yeah. So this this film follows this character through three different periods of her life. Yes. And it shows her with sexual awakening in all three of those. Mm-hmm. The first one, she walks in on her parents having sex. And yes. you get that sort of really cool color vibe what i don't you know the 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 um the, the, this uh it almost had of, uh, it almost had an argento light yeah it really so, did it did the second time is when she realized that she was turning guys on walking down the path the wind blowing her dress up and that was a sexual awakening as well She's like, what, an adolescent at that point. And, and there's an interaction with a cab driver. 
Yeah. Right. And, and men on the street. Well, I think along... that was the third part. Oh, that was the third part. That it kind was of, the, the third part was the, the, the interaction with the cab driver. <laughs> and that was like another sexual awakening for the yeah, same character. And what I, the other thing I liked about it is they kind of seamlessly went from one area to another, one section to another without, you had to sit and go, oh, okay, it's obviously transitioned. But it right. didn't like, it's not like they put a, a card up and said, no. part two, part right. three. But, but you mentioning Jallo, there were sequences in this movie where the music was very much like you're watching a Jallo. Yes. You know, especially later in the film when it seems like, and I will give you that this movie has some moments in it where it hits that horror. It hits the horror pretty hard. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it reminded me of his yellow in the sense of there, there is an overlying creepiness yeah. without it being overtly gory. Right. Like there's there no is a mystery whatsoever. There, there's a mystery involved. Like there's, you know, the, the first part with the girl in the house, there's some scary elements to what's going on there. Mm -hmm. The second part where there, she's walking by the beach and people are kind of looking at her in a way that at that age, it maybe shouldn't be. Right. And then the third part where it just, kind of, I'm not going to say what happens, but it, it goes somewhere else. That's a little more horrific, yeah. you know, but there's still an overarching sexuality. Yes. There's an overarching sense of dread, of mystery. Of dread of, and mystery. And why the hell did she go back to that damn house? Uh, but at the same time, you really, as a viewer, you don't know what's going to happen. Like a lot of these, you can you can photograph or telegraph these things a mile long. Right. I didn't know where this was going. No, I didn't either. It's that and, surrealistic nightmare quality where you yeah. you feel like you're inexorably drawn somewhere, you're headed somewhere, and you can't stop it from happening. Like those dreams where you have, where you're like almost like you feel like you're on a conveyor belt and you're being brought along on that ride. I think this will work so well. I love, and I think it's a great pick, Bill. It's atmospheric, it's strange, and you're never. But yeah. you know what? Sometimes these movies can lose us. You know, when a movie is trying to be very surrealistic and psychological and it starts to derail from reality sometimes you can get lost in that but i don't know you felt it just it draws you along it doesn't necessarily feel logical but it feels um it feels organic and you go with it and you're drawn along all the way and you're not really left there saying well i don't understand of course i don't understand but i i, I feel it <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other thing I liked about this, and it's also similar to the, one of the ones that Nathan chose, is there's very little dialogue. You, you can follow this even if you didn't yeah. have subtitles yeah. or you did have subtitles. I mean, there's like 15, 20 minute spans when there's no dialogue. No dialogue. Yeah. And I mean, you, you, when they do talk, you know, fill in the blank. You could have filled it in by yourself because you're just following along. This is that picture's worth a thousand words deal. And I find what's this movie actually in its ambiance built to me was sexier than a lot of some of the other films that had yeah. nudity because it's creating a space in your mind that you go back to later. You think about because the, the lead actress, I thought Cassandra Foray and the various actresses that played Anna, yeah. you know, they dressed her in a way that you knew she was slightly titillating, but they kind of stopped short. Yeah. So your mind had to kind of go there. Plus, with the ongoing mystery that's going around her, plus some of the creepazoids that she meets along the way. Uh, there's a cab ride where you get like a boob pop out because she goes to, you know, it's 
it's a really good film. There's a scene where she masturbates in a bathtub with a comb, but we don't see anything. Right. So again, your mind is going, I, I, I damn well know what she's doing, Yeah, but it, they're it, not going to be graphic to show you. This is an erotic movie without really showing a lot of the eroticism. And, and, and there's at one point, there's an intruder to the house in the third act. Guess what? Mm-hmm. They're wearing black gloves. Yep. Yeah. Yes, that's the whole giallo. And this that's is yeah. like if you watched, if you had like a triple feature of giallo movies and then you fell asleep, this would be the, the, the fever dream you had afterwards. Right. Right. The, the, the only thing that creeped me out uh, towards the end, I don't know if anybody else thought this, some necrophilia feelings. That was creepy. The, yeah, there was. That yeah. was super creepy. You know what else I put? I said, this would be a great film to watch high. It would Maybe it could also be a very disconcerting film because they've done most of the work true. for you. <laughs> well, that's right. But, you know, when you kind of get your head in that headspace yeah. and then you're watching this and you have to pretty much fill in the blanks because they're not really saying much. Like, it would be like, what yeah. the hell I, just happened? I'm going to put this out there. If people who are listening at home and listening to this and, and you're checking this list of movies to see, I would say put this near the top. Um, not that it's better than some of the other movies, but I mean, it's a movie that I'm guessing a lot of people maybe haven't seen. And yeah. it's going to be a very interesting experience. I think you're going to be well uh, surprised the, the, by it. This is I, uh, no, I put it at the top as well. well when you combine really this with film. when you combine this with uh, another episode that we'll have out shortly, these are very unbill like choices, and it just goes to show you know, like I do have a breath. I'll watch you, you're, you're pretty. pretty you ch- you end up watching a lot of the crap because you pick things that Tubi you've never seen. But you you have a pretty yeah. wide variety of films you enjoy, yeah. Bill. And, and, yeah. and so this is this is a quality film. I'll just say that. Yep. And sex. Yeah. And sex. Oh, very sex. Yeah. As I said, I would I got slightly more turned on by this than seeing 15 different women topless or whatever because your mind has to take you there. Yeah. Yeah. So that that whole sequence and it probably shouldn't have turned <laughs> with a lot of sense will probably start like that tonight. It probably walking. shouldn't have, but Yeah, when she's walking and the 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 wind is blowing her yes. dress up, J- just rippling the bottom of yeah, her skirt. Yeah, yeah, because she's obviously way younger. Yes, not not way younger. I mean, in the first sequence, she was a. I, I would say on the verge of eighteen. Yeah, she's like approaching eighteen at that. That's point. where you're talking more sensuality than pure eroticism. Yeah. It's like oh, you're hit. Yeah. But but even like, even the scene where she's in the cab. And their breast does pop out because, right. but it, you, you get the anticipation of the seam is bursting. <laughs> like they lead Here you. Here it comes, they, guys. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I'm just saying they, yeah, they lead no, you right. there. They lead you there. Like yep. they would, if this was flesh Gordon, they would have just popped right out. Right. If it was flesh Gordon, it right, wouldn't have been a shirt to pop off. Pop <laughs> but just reach up with your claw and push it back up. Anybody listening, <laughs> there might be 30 seconds of nudity in the yeah, whole yeah. film. That's it. So this is all about the mind's eye. Suggestion, anticipation. Suggestion, anticipation. uh, The giallo-esque. Yeah. uh, The mystery, the creepy house. And there's the whole storyline of, at the end, coming back to where you first started. It's a very, very good movie. And another one I'd recommend that you could even pair it with, um, that may even go a little bit further than this film, is The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears, I think, or mm-hmm. is the title of that yeah, film. That's, that's their other movie, yeah. Yeah, that's a really yeah, good one, the, one too. The, 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 direct, the director is a woman. Uh, well, one of the two yeah. is, is a woman. Right. And one of the ones that she did was, uh, she did a scene in the ABCs of Death. Yeah. I found interesting. Hers was, 
the letter O is for orgasm. I remember Ooh. that one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, me yeah. Too. That was actually one of the better ones. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that kind of gives you the sensibilities. If you like that little vignette within that film, this is the 90 minute kind of version. Yeah. A good, yeah. good movie. This, yeah, this movie, you guys mentioned Argento. Definitely these people are Argento fans. I, I also yeah. detected a lot of Mario Bava in that, like earlier. I was going to say, this is Argento as opposed to Martino. It, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and, and and it's like like Argento's movies. Um, it's a bit disjointed, but um, like Argento's movies, you could just kind of click off your uh, story structure uh, brain and let it happen. And it's right. it's a really interesting movie and definitely hot. Yep. Definitely. Because at first, when I first watched it, I'm like, "Oh, the guys are going to hate me for choosing this because there's, <laughs> there's no sex in this." You know? No, a lot of some of us had seen it, and I saw it, you picked it. Very and I was much. Like, yes. un, it's unlike a Bill Van Vagel movie, or, or, or you, or you, you, you haven't accessed all the recesses of my brain that I have. That's exactly, true. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this is not Bill Van Vagel slash Tubi. This is not a man sticking a screwdriver in his urethra. <laughs> and, and twisting it, yes. All right. Anyone American have anything else to say about Ever before? Yes. Yeah. Because, yeah. no, there's no way I'm talking and, about guinea pig movies. Movie that felt like I'm sorry. I'm going with the wind. I'm sorry. I, I heard urethra and sticking something up it. Now I'm awake. What, what happened? That, that is Welcome American back, Greg. guinea pig <laughs> sacrifice where a guy sticks a screwdriver in his dick and twists oh trust me i introduced dustin my co-host to uh to extreme it's going there nathan it's going there don't worry there's an edit button (laughs) sorry greg most of your stuff will probably stay in this episode Uh. i'm still surprised i made it to the 2022 episode the whole way through yeah (laughs) i think only i only took out one or two of your scars guard um salivating lines i think that's Uh, a shame you started to like literally pant and i just took it out but anyway um, let's get let's back back to our sense i have movies i guess i get to talk about a movie now (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so uh let's keep that art house thread going because i picked a movie that i had not seen in a long time and i my i was going solely off the memories and the memory of the feelings when I was watching it, and I remember thinking, wow, you know, of all the films I've seen, I remember this one being, A, very weird, and then B, also uh, pretty sensual to the point, like, like a t- sensual tension, um, but a movie where I didn't remember that, you know, it wasn't the sex scenes I remembered, it was the, the buildup and the overall atmosphere, not unlike what we were just talking about. This is a film... Uh, from 1964, a Japanese film, actually probably from that Japanese new wave period. It's called Woman in the Dunes, uh, or Woman of the Dunes, depending on how you translate that, uh, Suna no Una. And it was directed by Hiroshi Teshigahara. Uh, he did another uh, great movie called Face of Another. He's done several films. He did several films around this time. Uh, this one is a movie that I, uh, another one that was recommended to me by the, the same uncle <laughs> that introduced me to Flash Gordon. And I remember renting it, I think, from Blockbuster. And it was one of those movies that clearly had dust on top of the thing. Nobody had picked it up in ages, you know. And uh, I remember being really, really impressed by it. It's a very strange film. It essentially takes an allegory. But then what it does with allegory is it builds so much, like, realistic detail into it that you're there in the story very viscerally and the sense of allegory sort of kind of bleeds away, which is maybe the best way to do this sort of thing, but um, very basic uh, plot synopsis because you can kind of give the setup and then go from there. Uh, you have this 
entomologist. Uh, his name is Nikki uh, Nikki Junpei. He's he was in Tokyo. He leaves the city and he's on this beach and he's trying to collect beetles and insects. And uh, as he's as he's going around and looking for these, he misses the the bus to get back to town. And then he meets this um, villagers that say, "Oh, you should stay the night here." And he gets to this place where there is a. Uh, they put a rope ladder down and it goes down to this hut, but it's at the bottom of the sand dune. It's like down inside the dune, which visually speaking is already pretty cool. You're like, Oh, they have this house down inside the dune and there's the house. And he, he goes down into the house and there's this young woman inside. She is uh, a widow. She lost her husband, her daughter in the sandstorm. These sandstorms pop up all the time. And uh, she's there alone now. And she's like, well, I don't know where they are. They're buried somewhere out there. But she brings him in, gives him dinner, and they interact a little bit. You can tell there's, you know, there is a little bit of tension already, a little, you know. But he's mostly uh, interested in, I'm going to have dinner, I'm going to hang here, and then I'm going to leave. She goes outside at night, and she starts shoveling sand into the buckets. And there are the villagers. They come down, and they pull the buckets up, uh, the buckets of sand, and... She has to work like the whole night through and they don't, they've pulled the rope up. The rope is not there. He offers a help. She's like, no, you're a guest. You don't need to help right now. And so he gets up, he's ready to leave the next day. And what does he notice? That the rope ladder is gone and he can't get out. And the villagers are not bringing the rope ladder back. And he see, he, he's recognizing that the, uh, the sand is too steep. He tries to climb out. He can't get out. And he's trapped and he figures out that he's kind of been played that uh, both the village and this woman have sort of like lured him in. She doesn't have anybody there to help her now. And he is kind of stuck and he's expected to help her. And it's kind of a surreal situation where in order to get food and water, they are depending upon these villagers to provide them with these things. They're going to have to work every night by digging the sand. They give it to the the village and this part's kind of weird because you're like a sand a commodity and you have to pull it from here and there there's a whole thing about their wet moisture inside of the sand and he's skeptical about this to begin with but uh, they take it and they sell it to cement manufacturers and they give them food and water but you only get food and water if you help and you work and he initially tries to resist this they're not going to work they're not going to he ties her up he refuses to work but guess what no food and water shows up i don't want to go into much more of the plot because this is a movie that sort of unfolds again Somewhat like a dream, but there's enough realistic elements to it that you get caught up in it. And uh, it's this whole movie revolves around, really, these two actors. So you have uh, Eiji Okada, who's playing Nikki, and he's the entomologist. Kyoka Kishada is uh, the widow of the dunes, the, the lady who's down in this hole. And the movie revolves completely around them and their relationship. It's clear that she is hoping he's going to stay here, basically become her husband. She mentions that if we don't shovel the, the sand out, eventually the, the sand will come in and it will collapse and it'll basically cover us and kill us. And if this collapses, then it's going to affect the neighbors in the, in the dune hole one over. And they mentioned that, Hey, you know, there, there are different people that came here and they're now stuck and they're living, they're living over here too. So it seems to have been, it seems to have happened to more than one person. These people come, they come down into the the hole with the houses, and then they're stuck there. So it's expected that he's going to that Nikki's going to eventually become essentially her husband. They're gonna treat him that way. He's going what he's gonna do is sleep during the day, sleep naked, and say sleep naked. And there is actually a very sensual scene where he sees her sleeping naked, covered in the sand. And the way the film is shot, this is one of the most 
the most beautiful I've ever seen sand filmed. I remember Roger Ebert reviewed this movie in the late nineties, put added to his great movies list. And he said, yes, this is about the best looking I've ever seen sand. And yes, I'm considering Lawrence of Arabia when mm -hmm. I say that it's a black and white film, but it is gorgeously shot. And you do get this kind of sensual tension that builds up between the two of these people who are stuck in the situation and they're forced together into this and it happens slowly. And when we finally do have them coming together and having a kind of sexual experience, it is not explicitly shot, but it is very like erotically charged. I mean, ex excruciatingly so, I think, excruciatingly so. And I loved the tension of what was going to happen next. How, how are they going to deal with this situation? And when I had a different experience to it, when I saw it, it felt very exotic and very strange to me when I saw it when I was younger. And now I'm like, oh, look, there's a guy stuck in a hole and he's working all the time. And then eventually he's so fed up and frustrated. And then what else are you going to do? You're going to have sex when you can get it fit in. It feels like my life now, but uh, <laughs> I can't get out of a hole. But I love this movie. This is a wonderful film. Where it goes is fascinating and there are so many different facets to it this isn't simply a movie that's headed towards well these characters have sex there's so much more to it but honestly i think the scenes of them interacting and just the as they move inexorably towards that and then some of the things that happen where it's like the villagers will do this but you're gonna have to do this and 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 very strange very strange film but feels always relatable which which i loved and to me, added to the sexiness of the film. So sexy for me, loved it. I think this is a masterpiece film. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this. I had never heard of it. I had never seen it. Nothing. I went in with a complete blank slate for this. And I, I found myself sucked in. I, it was kind of, I wouldn't say a slow burn, but it was purposely paced. Yeah. Because they're literally in a hole of dirt. <laughs> For two hours of the 224 minutes yeah. or what have you. But it was it was wonderfully done. And part of it was just the interaction and the characters just developing a relationship or a pseudo relationship. And you knew that it was going to go there. But you wanted to see how it happened. The other thing that became blatantly obvious is the sand. It's one of those movies where, like, the house becomes a character. The sand becomes a character. Yeah in this film and it plays just as important a part as any actor in the film, the irony to the film. And I took this from someone who reviewed it. I'm not going to say it was mine is that as an entomologist, he goes from observing the jarred beetle to being the observed. Yes. beetle, <laughs> right. Where everybody's staring down at him and the back and forth between the characters. There's that whole scene about, Oh, you should sleep nude. The waters, the sand sucks the water out of you. And what fascinating and brilliantly uh shot the cinematography is lovely uh as criterion did a wonderful job of redoing so this good yeah and 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 i'm not going to give away the end but there's you know there's i didn't see that happening and then there's a, a, a an epilogue of you know, it's almost like uh unsolved mysteries this is what happens that was haunting actually right like just a title yeah. card yeah it, it, really good. Uh, I would. I give it an eight out of ten. I, I, you know, it's not necessarily always my type of film. But I was I so happy, it. Bill, that you loved this movie. That was the highlight yeah. of this this whole yeah. experiment was that you loved this film. Yeah. Sorry, Victor. I kind of cut you off. What were you going to say about it? Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, I. I'm glad you mentioned the um the, the fact that he's looking for an ant lion <laughs> at the <laughs> beginning, and then he sort of found, finds himself trapped like an ant lion's meal. 
um, for the, for the body of the movie. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, first of all, the music is fantastic. It's yes. uh, Takamitsu. Yeah. I mean, this is Akira Kurosawa's guy that he used for Ron and he's a, a very accomplished classical, modern classical Japanese composer. Uh, and it's fantastic. The music actually reminded me a lot of the pieces that uh, Stanley Kubrick used in The Shining at times. I I'm pretty sure that. he's a, he was a fan of this movie. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think the I think you guys described it really well. The the surreality and um, nightmarishness of his situation is sort of counterbalanced by the sensuality of there being sand all over them at all times, and and they're they're having to physically work to keep it off of them. Um, that that you can really almost sense that like texture is rarely conveyed in a movie. I and, know, and, right? <laughs> and they really go to town with it on this, and it works because the sand's always there, and it's always on them, and they're, he's always rubbing it off of him, and you can kind of feel it by by like after the first hour. So, your job well done. <laughs> did anyone else get a chance to see this one? No, no I not. Unfortunately, this is one of the ones that I missed. The other thing I liked about this is there was a subtle eroticism, lots of back rubs, baths, mm-hmm. uh, sleeping nudes, silhouettes, without actually going there. Yeah. W- yeah. W- which I really appreciated. Again, mm-hmm. a lot of the anticipation of, of, of that uh, and... And where will these two people be in their interactions with one another when you get there? So I loved that aspect of it. Again, it's a lot of psychological. I think it's a masterpiece. Um, I think, Dave, you said you do own this movie. so um, I do, yes. Yeah, you get a chance. Check it out. Is I think you'll I think you'll really love it. I, I, I really don't see anyone here who's on the podcast um, not loving this movie. It's probably one of – there's one other movie that I saw that I rewatched that I was like, wow, this jumped high in my list. And – this one's probably near the very top. So this is mm, nice. Very cool. Okay. So um, let's jump back to Greg uh, Bazelli. Greg, your second movie of the evening. All right. All right. Well, uh, I said 1981 earlier, but it's actually 1984. And it's uh Brian De Palma film. And it is one that has had an image that's been burned into my brain for a long time. And it's of the the titular climax of the the main story, but not really the main story within the story, I guess, is the best way to say it, without spoiling it, unless we're spoiling this one, which because it's so old. And that's Body Double. <clears throat> nice. uh, Brian De Palma, Body Double, stars Craig Wasson, Melanie Griffith, and Greg Henry. Uh this one is young actor's obsession with spying on a beautiful woman who lives nearby leads to a baffling series of events with drastic consequences. <laughs> Again, uh, IMDb killed it with my two movies. Uh, it's another good one without giving it away. Um, basically, this movie's about a peeping Tom. Uh, that's not the movie Peeping Tom. It is uh, Brian De Palma doing what I call the 80s version of Hitchcock, which is Oh, well, this is, this is the best. This is one of my favorite De Palma films because it really shows his love of Hitchcock. Absolutely. This is rear window slash vertigo. And you know, yeah. the thing you're dude, you have that a hundred percent rear window and vertigo is 
literally spot on with this movie. Uh, Rear Window being one of my favorite movies of all time. And yeah. then Vertigo is it's up there within probably my top 100 or maybe 150 of all time. And this movie plays both to that level with obviously the character being a peeping Tom and looking out the window and then also playing with his claustrophobia instead of vertigo. He still gets that same right. kind of the Palma uses these great camera tricks that that uh, Hitchcock pioneered with the zoom lens and the push in which is really done to a uh, spectacular effect in a hall or not a hallway, but like kind of like a tunnel scene. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, it's just beautiful. Uh, De Palma really pushes forward with his uh, artistic style in this one. And, you know, you also have Melanie Griffith, who's super hot. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Greg Henry plays a really fun character. Craig Watson plays the lovable, but not really lovable goof. <laughs> Craig Watson is one of those actors who <sighs> body double might be my favorite Craig Watson performance. It, it would have to be mine as far as movies go, because he really wasn't in a lot of other big movies. He, he worked in a lot. He was in a movie in the late eighties called, Oh God, what was that called? It was, he played, um, uh, James Madison. God, what was that movie? Well, he, called? he was also in a nightmare in Elm street three. He was in nightmare and Elm street three. Yes. It was in, he was in that horror film from the early eighties. Ghost story. Yeah. Ghost. Yes. Story. Ghost story is what I was thinking about. Too. Yes. And but, he was also, he was also in Malcolm X. Oh, I didn't know. He's he just a TV Malcolm host in Malcolm X though. Yeah. yeah. But for me, it, it really comes down to, I think Body Double is my favorite Craig Watson performance. And he's just one of those actors who's not, God, he's not the strongest. Right. He's got a certain, he's got a certain like uh, uh, air about him, but he's not. Yeah. A more perfect union is what you're talking about. A uh, more perfect union, yeah. yes. Where he played James Madison. Before this film. That was my favorite Craig Watson performance was him as James Madison, the drafter of the constitution in a more perfect union. But damn, is he good in this movie? And this is probably my favorite Craig Watson performance. I, I love him at the very beginning, right? When he's dressed in this weird kind of psychosexual Dracula eighties, right. <laughs> Sexual Dracula he's should doing be a band. With Dennis Franz is the director. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and might I say, Franz was awesome. Yeah, he was. Yes, yeah. oh, Dennis Franz role. is. I don't think I've seen a movie where Dennis Franz wasn't awesome. Psycho Two. Every he time I see Dennis Franz, I think he's pretty thing. awesome. Yeah. My favorite part with Franz at the end, where he goes, uh, "You said you weren't going to fire me. So what? I lied. I had to keep going. Move. <laughs> right. Get off my set." But yeah, psychosexual Dracula. I feel so bad for him because you get one tear that comes out of his eye when he's paralyzed in that casket. And I'm like, oh man, you feel bad for him. And then all of a sudden he becomes rapey. And it's like, uh, maybe I don't feel so bad. Get back all in the casket. He, he, yeah. becomes, he becomes James Stewart in Rear Window. Well, especially when he's luring yes. at the girl at the store window. Oh, yeah. I'll yeah. say that he has a similar part as Jimmy Stewart, but he, Jimmy Stewart never becomes rapey. Okay. <laughs> he becomes well, obsessed. It's, it's His because obsession that movie there. was from the 1950s. True, true, true. Yeah. But yeah. If, if that movie was from the 1970s, if that was Hitchcock doing Frenzy. There you go. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. You would have gotten James Stewart a lot rapier. <laughs> well, hopefully. Well, in uh, the, in the rear window. There is that possibility, you know, Hitchcock's got sensibility for where it works and where it doesn't, you know. Right. And, uh, whereas, whereas De Palma's like, we're going to make everything CD. It's <laughs> <laughs> a yeah. good effect. A good effect. My wife was watching this one with me and she goes, she goes did, she, did he just take her panties? Out of, <laughs> out of the trash. And I said, no, not just out of the bag, out of the garbage. <laughs> hey, you know, you know, at that point, he was, he was he totally understood. She wasn't using them anymore. You know, I was going to say, steal, I'm gonna is all, it stealing at that point? I don't know. I'm going to ask all the ladies in the audience has anybody ever done that? Bought underwear and just left them in a bag and dumped them? They stopped listening <laughs> at Flesh Gordon, Bill. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, <that's> <laughs> <true>. <laughs> all we have left is Brian Scott. That's it. <laughs> hi brian hi brian hey brian uh, he's texting me right now so i'll have to let him know <laughs> <laughs> oh we love you anyway brian. anyways go, go into your deep dive into body double there greg no i mean i i like i said i think dave hit it on the head with you know it being rear window meets vertigo with the Palma's artistic flair of the eighties, we do get the great cameo from Barbara Crampton and her amazing assets. We'll say, yeah, uh, <laughs> which to me was one of the peak uh, peak parts of the film. If you catch my drift, um, what well, 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 the other the, the other movie I thought the other movie I thought of while this was going on towards a pivotal scene, and I won't divulge too much. But uh, maybe the Palma was a fan of Slumber Party Massacre. Yes, I, I was going to bring up yeah, that yeah. and um, <laughs> Slumber Party Massacre Two and the Driller Killer and all those kind of things. And that's the- when did those films come out, though? Uh, Slumber Party Massacre was eighty one. Okay, so it was okay eighty four. Yeah, it's recent. Yes, it was before. Um, but that was one of the things I always remembered, and it's not very PC because they keep calling him the Indian in in the film, but. At the same time, he was who I remembered. And I remembered that one scene with something coming through the ceiling. Okay? And that's all I'll say. And that's what I remember from my childhood. This came out, you know, I was two years old when this came out. You have a wild childhood, by the (laughs) way, Craig. (laughs) I'm not knocking it, but it's wild. So you said about your uncle. My uncle was, if if you listen to our show, I kind of went into detail about this. But my uncle was huge into horror films and had VHSs. And when we go over his house, we would go over his house. I spent a lot of time there as a kid, and one of the reasons why I did was because I, he would let me watch whatever I wanted, and I watched whatever he was watching. That's why I watched trauma films. I watched Street Trash when I was seven years old. Okay, oh, that's awesome. So, <laughs> that's why I didn't even know Street Trash existed yeah. until I was like twenty five or something. Right. I, I, yeah. I, I, street Trash is an amazing film. I introduced <laughs> Dustin to that like two weeks ago when we called into LOTC. So <laughs> it's just it's the ever worry people. You know, my children get corrupted if they watch movies at a young age. Look, Greg Bazzelli, totally fine. Exactly, I'm totally fine. <laughs> I'm successful. I, you know, I, I have a beautiful house and a beautiful family, and I have a lot of great friends on the internet that we talk about disturbing movies with nobody knows where the bodies are buried i do live in the mountains of west virginia there's a lot of place that's all i'm saying (laughs) i I will say it was nice seeing a cameo of frankie goes to hollywood oh oh my god i actually don't do it if oh my god that freaking scene and that's one of my i love that song it's one of my favorite 80s songs did your wife like this movie greg uh she liked it until she fell asleep 
Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> this is yeah, about my I would wife. Have never show my wife this movie. The, oh, okay. the structure, the structure is a little strange. Like the first half is definitely what exactly what you guys described, like Vertigo <laughs> meets Rear Window, but depomified. Um, <laughs> the second half is totally different. Like it, it totally goes into high oh gear. Oh my god, that whole sequence <laughs> is so aggressive. Do it if yes. you want to go. Oh my god, yeah. Well, one, I'm one never gonna be able to hear that song again. I forgot that song was in here. I'm like, oh my gosh. I was, yeah, one of I, my bro- I, I, you know, I was, I was turned on by De Palma's work so much rewatching this movie that I saw the De Palma documentary in it again, and De Palma's yeah. in it talking about how, uh, it was the fashion of movies in those days of, of executives to demand that uh, they squeeze a band like doing a, a music, uh, a, you know, some music from a famous video. He made in, it count. In the, oh, yeah, yeah. He was like, well, l- let's just film the video oh, like, l- and let's put it all in the movie. And that's what he did. And that's why I tell oh. Jess. I said, this, this is, that's actually Frankie goes to Hollywood right there. She's like, what do you yeah. mean? I said, you don't even know what band that is. Never mind. <laughs> Where's which one's Frankie? Uh, <laughs> which one's did, did anybody ever see the video for Frankie Goes to Hollywood? Oh, the original one relaxed? before it got banned. Yes, yes, yes. How one with Reagan and Gorbachev. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, my two, god! Two tribes. Yeah. That fits this episode perfectly. It does. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but but Victor, to your point, one of my bullet points is uh, he's quite the smart actor to solve this crime. He goes from being, you know, like a struggling actor to being a high-end Columbo. Like, he figures it all out. Yeah. Like, like where this... If he's that strong and intuitive, you would have thought he'd get more jobs. I will, well... Go ahead, Victor. No, no I was just going to say the fact that he is an actor gives him an edge. And I guess we can't really tell any, yeah. say any more without giving away what the twist is. Yeah. But. I, I will say, though, that the story structure... You know, this was written, produced, and directed by De Palma. Okay, and he knew what he wanted to do. Like he knew it exactly. He knew exactly what he was shooting, how he was shooting it, and the story structure. It does follow a little bit of that Giallo esque storyline, right? There's a lot of there's a couple different red herrings. It even has a gloved killer. So I mean, there's some storylines there that beats, and that kind of makes me miss that I should have picked Torso, but that's okay. But oh, it, it, it follows good. very well yeah. into this movie's Dress hotter to, than Torso. This yeah. follows in very Same well to dress into Dress to Kill, like yeah, you know, yeah. like it's it, a great it, film too. Yeah, yeah, oh, and and, and, the, and the fact that they're making a horror movie at the beginning yes. and the end is very much like Blowout. Yeah, it is very much like Blowout. Yeah, which is also yeah. a great film. But um, yeah. I think what I was struck with was like because I I think Blowout's the one. Uh, beyond Carrie, and I'm like, oh, that's one of the great diplomas. But I was like, I forgot how good Body Double really is. Oh, like, it really yeah. is and it's a great film. So it, versatile. It is. It is really Brian De Palma channeling Hitchcock. Yeah, and he makes he makes the mystery part, which is what 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 Hitchcock did in Vertigo. Like, because Vertigo is a pretty sexy movie, even though it doesn't yeah. have sex in it. Like, oh, he, exactly. the mystery, he makes the mystery as sexy as the sexy. That's the thing that the Palma's got. The challenge is the Palma goes there. Like, right. He's yeah. got all the sex yeah. in there and he's got to find a way to still make it hot uh, to make this, the, the, the tension and the anticipation hot, even though he's going to give you straight up. There it is. You know what? And, and there are, there are some great lines in this film. And and the one line I will I won't quote, 
is the one where <laughs> Melanie Griffith will not do certain acts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy. I, 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 I what, literally what, what, teared what, up. That, that scene is amazing. Well, oh, I was going to mention that, you know, you talk about De Palma and he dials it back at certain points. One of the one of the places where he dials it back is actually on the porno set. That's what's cool about right. it, right? That's it is very interesting that he does that. Yeah. So. But, and and I was going to say, there's the one scene where they go to other party and Melanie Griffith bumps into this other lady. He doesn't know the type of film Hilarious. she does. I'm looking for work. Oh, here's the name of so-and-so. <laughs> Never heard of him. How long have you been in this business? You tell him that Holly right. Body says. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. And, and everything she says she will not do. He's fine right. with. He's yeah, like, just, okay, she doesn't bat an eye. No, sure, he yeah, doesn't give a shit because that's not what he's interested in. <laughs> But I will not that, shave, you know. Yeah, yeah. If, I won't if you're shave. In, if you're in, yeah, right. Yeah, I if, won't, if you're in adult movies, I won't movies, do this. I won't to, do that. Yeah, you have to put all that up front, and and I think that 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 there's a lot of personal commentary that probably only De Palma and his inner circle get. I can only guess at it, but I know that he got a lot of flack from the studio because this is a big budget movie, and yeah, at some point he studio. wanted to cast in the Melanie Griffith role a uh, a porn actress. Um, yeah. where a lot of a lot of this, the items in the script actually came from. Um, and uh, the studio was like, no way, you can't do that. You 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 put a porn actress in this movie and you're fired. You know? <laughs> so well, I, like, I, I, All right. And, and but the <clears throat> in the second half of the movie, there's this really uh, interesting satire and commentary about how much Hollywood is like the porn. Right. Industry. Like, yeah, that, and that, and yeah. it's dead on. Like it's, it's almost not even satire, right? Because it's just no. so specifically like it's all he's doing is creating the parallel. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's just a comparison, I guess. Well, and I will say at this, <laughs> at this point, Melanie Griffith isn't what, you know, we would realize, but it was a very brave performance by Melanie. And Griffith. it's funny yeah. because I kind of yeah. like, forget, like I saw this movie much later. So like the Melanie Griffith I was familiar <laughs> with was like the Melanie Griffith of like the comedies and milk money and all that stuff. And I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> or it, the, 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 like the craziest I had seen her previously, this was like something wild with Jeff Daniels. Yes. That might be, her, that right. might be my favorite Melanie Daniels performance. Which is a great film too. That's a great it movie. Is, it yeah. is a great film. Yeah. The other thing is, for those listening, watch through the credits. Watch through yes. them because yeah. it, it keeps going. And, and, and the, <laughs> yeah. the, the true De Palma shows out because there's a great boob close-up for about uh, like a whole minute. I think that's Palma sticking it to his bosses. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and the girl goes, don't press too hard. I'm on my period. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, I fucking I love Brian De Palma so much. I can't even I yeah. can't even begin to tell you guys. I mean, he has put so much uh happiness and elevated entertainment <laughs> in my in my life. Yeah. And I mean, if you're a, a, you know, an artistic director with a lot of films under your belt, which he had at this point, um I think that he did with this movie exactly what you should be doing with that kind of power, which is test the limits of everybody that you're push working that, with. Push and, that yeah. line. So, yeah. so uh, Victor, tonight you're going to sit with your wife, hold hands, and watch Snake Eyes. Is that what you're going to be? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I kind of like Snake Eyes, but I, I'll be honest with you. The, I haven't even seen the last couple of the Palma movies. I'm looking at them I'm like, I didn't even know they existed. I'd, I'd love to see him do a return to just like, 
knock it out of the park. Those movies might be good. I just haven't seen them. I haven't seen Passion or uh, there's another yeah, film there. I, I don't know. After after the Untouchables, what was the Palma? What was the Palma? I like uh, Femme Fatale, Fatale what actually. Is, yeah, that was good. Yeah, what was the Palma did a? Um, oh God, what was, was it redacted? It? A, redacted i hated that movie with a passion i gave up after mission to mars <laughs> no i would watch mission to mars a hundred times before That's i would it. watch yes. redacted i was hoping for a dave rant oh redacted <laughs> yeah. is one of the worst fucking movies i've ever seen in it's my life the hate flow through you <laughs> That's all right. There goes I'm the explicit Griffin screaming. There goes the explicit warning right there. Now, but uh, said that I think Brian De Palma is an amazing director, yeah. and I have come to admire Mission to Mars. It, it's a it's out of his wheelhouse, and it's got a lot of good, which is frustrating when it yes. isn't as good. Yes, it does. It, it you get these characters in that movie that you sort of relate to. And you you sort of like, um, and going back to the one we're talking about, Body Double. I what think Body I Double through? is one of the great Brian De Palma films, right up there with uh, Untouchables. I saw the Untouchables uh, in the theater. That's such a good movie. Well, when the Untouchables, I saw that in the theater when it premiered, and uh, it was a midnight showing. My brother and I went and saw it, and my God, it blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. Mm-hmm. Oh, Carrie's a great movie, too. Yes. I mean, I it's, think I'd still like, go Carrie. He's awesome. He's got so many good, good He movies. really does, but I'm telling you, fuck Redacted. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's he the does. thing. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit because I was saying like uh, stuff after Mission Mars, but he did. <laughs> I really like Femme Fatale. I thought it was. I, you know what? I'm with you, Nathan. I thought Femme Fatale was a lot better movie yeah, than the critics good. gave it credit for. I don't think they understood it, or uh, or maybe didn't finish it, or something, because um, I might have been Ebert well, or somebody that... gave it like a four star review, but no one else was, and I was like, really? And I watched it. Yeah. It's damn good i think it's like good it's very movie. good it's a return to form in a lot of ways it's a damn good movie and i'm gonna i'm gonna go further i think the black dahlia i was about to say same thing i like movie. that in fact i see femme fatales on sale on amazon oops i hit a button um well, no <laughs> seriously i think the black, <laughs> dahlia, <laughs> the black dahlia is a strong movie as well well dave the other one that uh, nathan and i had this chat the other day the other one that's pretty good that nobody ever brings up is the Fury. Oh, I mean, it's not as top. It's top yes. here, but it's Fury. good with uh, with Kirk, Kirk Douglas. Douglas. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Douglas. Yeah. I think the Fury. We reviewed that recently on uh, Jay the Dead's new yeah. horror well, movies, well, and I was the yeah. only one who was defending the Fury. I think that is a strong film as well. It's good. I liked it. Yeah. I enjoyed I, it as I'm, well. Okay, I, I thought and, it was a great film. Okay. Oh, you know, you guys. Before before we move on to my uh, other movie, um, yeah, I just wanted to since we just mentioned Black Dahlia, which is sadly a movie of De Palma's I have not seen. Oh. Uh, I just wanted it's to plug my. F- I, yeah, no, I want to see it. I, I'm really I'm fascinated by the case. Uh, I have this book, in fact, called uh, Black Dahlia Avenger by Steve Hodell, and you know I'm a member of the Mystery Writers of America, and in my chapter, I mean Hodell is is part of my chapter, and uh, he. 
he's related to the person who committed the crime. Oh, wow. Wow. That is crazy. And he became a homicide detective. So, and then he wrote this book. And and there are they are making it into a TV series or a movie. I forget oh, which, but yes. it's it's going to be awesome. great. But yeah, the Black Black Dahlia Avenger by Steve Hodel. Highly recommend the book. It's a fascinating book. Um, and uh, I mean, it it's and it's written by a guy who intimately knows all about the case. And it is wild. It is. Awesome. It so- is- so we've almost yeah. done it here, but you remember how in the horror movie episode we talked about the erotic movies episode, and we're doing that. So here, <laughs> I'm putting it out. Everybody's here. Come back, and we'll do a Duff Palma yeah, episode. Oh my god, I'm just to say that. Yes. But we might have to make it like the X Files, where we had to re- inter- do them separately because there's just so much stuff, yeah. right? Well, that's, I was just about yeah. to say. I was like, well, whose episode or whose show do I have to go on to talk about Scarface, The Untouchables, and Carly? Maybe oh, we should do it like Scarface. they did back in the day. Man. We were talking about the X Files, where like you know. uh what uh, Richard Belzer goes on homicide and then on like, uh, you know, then he's on like um, evening shade and all like, or not evening shade. What was the show? Picket fences. You know, he yeah, get, makes the rounds. Maybe we need to start no, doing that, that where we Reynolds, we, uh, Meryl O'Hanna. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. picket fences with Tom Scarrett, but what we need to, that's what we need to do is create a series where we just rotate right. our shows. So, you know, we got to tune in next week. Like the CW does with the superhero shows. You can yeah. see the, what the flash does next week's going to be on arrow. Oh, and <laughs> You gotta tune in, you know, DVD infatuation, monsters in the mosh pit, yeah, everywhere, just to get the whole series. I like that idea, but um, uh, yeah, Brian De Palma for sure. We're gonna have to do this, and I know Victor's next movie. What's funny is I watched both of these today, and it was a whiplash because I went actually I watched the movie that Victor's about to review first, and that director is so different than De Palma. I mean. The Palma looks downright aggressive. He looks downright aggressive anyway, but he looks downright aggressive when you're coming off of this other nice. film. So um, I think we all agree. Sexy, yeah. pretty sexy, yeah. very sexy. Maybe the Go sexiest on, movie. Yeah. Body Double might Body be the sexiest Double movie. Might uh, be De Palma's sexiest film. Yes, and probably the, one of the sexiest movies I watched, um, barring, again, w- Woman in the Dunes, I thought was so like yeah. sensual in a different way, and then the movie that Victor's about to talk about. So Victor, take it mm-hmm. away. Yes, uh, 1999, Stanley Kubrick's final movie, Eyes Wide wow. Shut. Um, yep, I went to see this in uh, a movie theater with my other friend, David, and um, it, it was a head scratcher. Like, I was like, yeah, I mean, visually, it was very interesting, but um, what the hell was it about? <laughs> Took me a couple of times rewatching it to realize what it's about, and and. Yeah, I hate to bring up De Palma again, but I think it was him that said this in some interview that I read. If you look at the first like five minutes of a movie, there is an overture. Like the director is telling you what the movie's going to be about, um, and uh, that is done in Eyes Wide Shut. This is a, a movie with uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman back yeah. when they were married. And they're playing a and married has couple. Nicole Kidman uh, who's... ever looked hotter? No, no. she's she incredible, amazing in this. in this movie. Yeah, and um, you know uh, the first line is uh, Tom Tom uh, Cruise, who's <laughs> playing a, a character named Doctor Bill. <laughs> That's um, so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's it's like uh, yeah, Colonel Kilgore and all those others, those kind of weird characters. But um, uh, he, he says. Have you seen my wallet? 
and um, Nicole Kidman goes, "Yes, it's on the it's on the nightstand dress, dre- uh, the dresser table, or something <laughs> something like that." She knows right. exactly where it is, and that's what the movie's about. It's about um, transactional oh. lust, uh, and um, how in this marriage, uh, Nicole commits a confession that they're both kind of like flirting with right. other people in the first yeah. act of the movie. And then Nicole gives this just gut punch of a confession to, uh, to Tom Cruise uh, saying that she has desired right. other men um, and, and that she has, you know, seriously considered uh, just right. cheating on him um, for, for the sake of like using her, her, you know, sexual power to, uh, to get, get other men and, and then go on with her life. And as a result, it sends the Tom Cruise character into a sort of counter-strike mode where he is seeking out, Christ. Uh, you know, a woman that he can cheat with to sort of emotionally get yes. even with his wife. And if you notice, like all the women kind of look like um, Kidman, like they're all like tall, they're all strawberry blonde close. types. Yes. He's got yeah. a type for sure. <laughs> and his type is his wife, as it turns out. <laughs> right. For, for prior to this movie, Nicole Kidman, the hottest I ever saw her was in Moulin Rouge. I oh, thought yeah. she was amazing in Which that movie. Which was after this she film, was hot right? as hell yeah, in that yeah. movie. But Eyes Wide Shut is yeah. Nicole Kidman at her hottest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's incredible. And, uh, it, the 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 quest the dream quest sort of of um, of of Cruz's character uh, takes him into this weird ultra rarefied uh, world of the super right. rich where they there's this weird party and anyway I I don't want to take up too much time because I know we got a lot of the show to go but um, it is a wild unsinkable <laughs> moment <laughs> when he arrives at this insane party. Uh, and what goes on there, but, um, there, there's a lot of disturbing stuff, uh, as you would imagine that, you know, it's like, well, what, what can the ultra ultra rich right. get away with? Um, and it's pretty much pointed out in this movie. Um, but it, it was so it, it rocked some critics so much to their core that they theorized that maybe Kubrick was somehow murdered because of oh, <laughs> really the, the way people believe anything. So yeah, the ultra rich lifestyle. Yeah, oh, I personally oh, don't no, believe that. I, I don't buy but, that. Either. Um, I don't buy that either. But it's it the same very, people trying to cover up the moon landing. Right. Bit, with, you know? with Kubrick, <laughs> but, but it is, it is very, filming the moon landing. Yes. Yeah. yeah it is very scathing. Sorry, it's 237. It's not 217. <laughs> that's right right yeah. and I, i've mentioned before the show but the the joke of course was that like the thing about the moon landing is kubrick is such a stickler for detail he had to go to the moon yeah, to right. film it so yeah, it didn't right. really matter it didn't matter <laughs> right. he was already on the moon think, uh, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah like like a great a great um a great sort of a parody i uh, a clothing item to get would be a, a kubrick moon landing you know crew jacket would be, uh, <laughs> that would be yeah. awesome but uh, but yeah, uh, so so basically, there are just some things that um, that Cruz's super rich friend Victor reveals to him, where you kind of go, hmm, yeah, if if you know this sort of accident happened in this world, that's probably right. what would happen. Sydney <laughs> Pollack, I think that's that's Sydney the really Pollack disturbing is part amazing of it. Yeah. in this movie. He's yes. so good because 
he was he was a great director, yeah, he obviously, yeah. but he was also a good actor, and, and people knew how to use him. And it's funny because probably my my touch point for him as an actor would have been like yeah. Tootsie. Tootsie. Uh, he was he, amazing. He directed and starred yeah. and co-starred in Tootsie. And he's got some of that affability that he had in Tootsie yeah. initially, and then you see the sinister elements creep in and and cooper mm-hmm. keeps playing with it in such a way and victor i talking about this where you see him do things and in a in a different movie that would be proof yeah. that oh he's we just revealed something yeah. major Tom but Cruise here cooper could simply says, what did you do to that girl yeah. he's like we fucked her right, right. and and it, but there's a point when you see things that are supposed to trigger something in your mind but you're like am i seeing that because Cruz would be right. thinking that or am i seeing that because Kubrick is saying that's what it is, and and knowing Kubrick, oh my God, this is such yeah. a this is this is like the quintessential Kubrick film. And here's here's my thing. I saw it like Victor. I saw it in the theater. I saw it with my girlfriend at the time, who was like kind of flummoxed by it. And honestly, I had a similar reaction. Everyone was so excited for it. I was just discovering. I was probably like twenty at the time, and I was. Uh, just kind of discovering everything that Kubrick was yeah. doing and hadn't even seen maybe more than half of his films and, at and, that point. And, and the fact yeah. that this was his last film, Jesus. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, the, a lot of the dialogue, it, it is very dreamlike. And in fact, it's based on a, a novel called dream story by uh, Arthur Schnitzler, um, which uh, it, the plot points of the novel are very similar to the movie, but it's it's set in a different time. But I find that really interesting too. That it's set in sort of the golden age in Vienna, uh, the 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 book, and um, so he's basically saying we have sort of a parallel time. Uh, yeah, Kubrick is saying we have a parallel time in history in Manhattan in 1999. Like you know, it's there's a lot of money going around, like everybody's, you know, fairly being fairly successful. It's one of those sort of peaks in history. Um, and, uh, and obviously the events happen how they, how they happen, but, uh, yeah, great. Absolutely great. Yeah. Music by my, uh, former client. Um, and, oh, that's uh, really cool. yeah, it's it, fantastic. Yeah. Jocelyn Pook. Uh, and, um, it's it's super memorable. Oh, and yeah, and Todd Field <laughs> and Todd yeah. Field, um, the director. So I didn't know this. Yeah, I didn't know this until I was preparing for uh, for your show, Nathan. Um, but I looked up the director of the movie Tar <laughs> from last year, and in the bedroom, uh, Dave, which I know you're a big fan of. <laughs> in yes. the bedroom um, is and, an amazing uh, film. Yes. But but Nicholas Nightingale oh, yeah. is Todd Field. I didn't wow. know that. Yeah, Nick Nightingale, and, and so so all this eyes wide shut stuff pop pops up, and I'm like, what? And <laughs> and then it's like, oh, he played Nick Nightingale, uh, <laughs> and I just find it so hilarious that he's so heavily involved in music, like in the in the only two things I know by him, and they're both awesome. Nice. So. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a great uh, filmmaker. He's great in this movie. But it's funny because when I saw this, it was I was drawn in. It was Kubrick, and like you said, Nicole Kidman. That was a big drawing point, and and that was what hit me. Uh, seeing it as a younger person who wasn't, you know, was in a relationship, but was kind of it, it wasn't necessarily a super, you know, serious. You don't know where this is going, kind of relationship. So it was- we know where it hits you. <laughs> no, no, no. What, what, and my, here's my contrast. My my comparison is back then. I'm saying like the stuff that you're interested in is the more like exotic stuff. Those parties and those crazy things going on. And then also as a younger person in a relationship, it's like that idea of like the betrayal and, and what it does to you and that sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But now like seeing it from this vantage point today, first off, what happened is 
it shot to the top of honestly it's probably one of my favorite Kubrick movies now. And I was like, wow, this is really in the upper echelon, even though I don't always hear it mentioned. And then two, the most relatable, the moment when it got me, I'm like, boom, I'm connecting to this movie in a way I probably am connected to other Kubrick movies is where you have two people standing in this toy store. Granted, that's a toy store I would never be in in my entire life. Couldn't afford it. But they're staying there watching their kid go ape shit over some kind of merchandise. And they're just looking at each other and saying, you know what? We really, we really need to <laughs> totally related to that. That's I was like, boom, got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, most human moment in a Kubrick movie ever. <laughs> and and again, yeah, it comes back that comes back around to transactional lust. And if yes. you notice throughout throughout the whole movie, like all the conversations they have with the daughter are money related. Like there's yes. a math problem where it's like Jim has one credit card and he can do this. <laughs> they're finally by the end of the film, they're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But they're still gonna have uh, to and- buy whatever that kid's flipping out about. <laughs> And I think, yeah, mixing sex with a uh, transactional, uh, you know, just sort of uh, conspicuous consumption, uh, I think is it, it mingles the two things in a sort of unholy way, yes. but it's the most natural thing in the way in, in the world. And it's just like uh, Bill was describing uh, Amher. Um, it's it's like, you know, this, this kid, this, uh, you know, young woman has this, you know, her sexual awakening like catching her parents having sex is sort of mingled up with the the corpse that they're keeping in their house well you know yeah and and it all becomes uh, sort of uh, fetishized in, sex and in death are intermingled in a way that they it, can't untangle exactly well here Same it's life. it's sex and money that are yeah. that are entangled and, and um, it's, it's brilliant yeah, yeah I, I haven't seen this film uh, seriously in 20 years uh, it really, it's, it's a, it holds up well, Bill. No, it does. And, but I do remember my gut reaction to it when I saw it. I'm going to say 2000. And I, one is Nicole Kidman looks amazing. She looks great in this film, her dresses and things. She looks fantastic. But the other thought that came into my head was when they go to the party and they kind of realize what's going on, you really don't know what's going on in your friends' lives. Like, yeah. like, you have no yes. idea what's going on behind door number two. You know, like, is it a PTA meeting or is it one of these? But their competition that Dr. Bill and everyone else is in is they're all they're all reacting to this, right? They all want to achieve what they see these other people have. And like you say, they have no idea what's underneath the surface. And the other thing is, I, mean, I was just scrolling through the cast and towards the bottom is Thomas Gibson. Hmm. Thomas Gibson's Dharma and Greg. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, here's Greg, you know, the straight laced guy married to the hippie girl. And here he is participating in orgies. No, he, well, he plays this uh, character that that uh, Tom Cruise is going to cuckold. Um, like he's he's married to this woman that's sort of attracted to Cruise. And that's his first yeah. like sort of strike back at his wife as he starts flirting with this guy's wife. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's, but, but he could before, be at the party. We really don't know. <laughs> he, he might be. Yeah, he might be. He's, but I, I think that they describe him as being outside of the wealthy circle. Like he's a school yeah. teacher or something like that. Okay. Um, but, uh, but anyway, it, it's, it's incredible. And, uh, again, highly recommended, but before, before you guys uh, chime in on it, I just wanted to recommend this article. If you want to take a super deep dive into eyes wide shut, there's an article by Tim Kreider, uh, and it's called Introducing Sociology. And I think you can find it online. It's absolutely brilliant. It goes through all of his thoughts about the movie and um, and compares it to other Kubrick movies. Uh, and I highly recommend it. And um, yeah, it's... Uh, 
it's 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 bracing. Uh, it's a long read. It probably takes about half hour, forty five minutes to read, but totally worth it. Yeah, Tim. And, and I, I thought in this movie it really showed Cruz kind of vulnerable, and you don't see him that way. That's in a good very point. Many yeah. roles, that's true. You know, but you I know? think he was less protective of that at this point in time. Still protective, but not like you wouldn't see him do this movie now. I don't think. Right. I don't. I don't think America wants to see him no. in this movie now. But. <laughs> right. but, but the fact that he's willing to kind of go there—that uh, was brave of him at this point. Yeah, and I'm not talking about the nudity or anything, but like you said, no, that vulnerability no, no, no. of a guy yeah. who uh, his life's coming apart and he's uncertain and he's insecure, and everything he's doing is based off of that insecurity. Yeah, like you're not going to get that with Jack Reacher or something. Uh, you know, like you're just not going to. Well, that. let's look through Kubrick because Kubrick's the guy, and at the time I saw this film. You know, he's the detachment guy a lot of times. He can make visceral things, but, you know, there's a certain coldness to characters, even in my favorite movie of all time, 2001, is very much a distance between the characters. I wasn't entirely certain that he was going to be able to pull off an erotic thriller and make it feel sexy, but he does. I mean, how, how how old was Kubrick at this point? It was right before he passed away. Yeah. So was he, you know, getting on 80? No, no, think, no, no. Late sixties. Yeah, late sixties. Because oh, he did he make it out of his sixties? I don't even remember. I, don't remember. I can look it up, but I thought he was the late sixties. Yeah, but my point being is like he 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 keeps a certain element of the detachment, but it's from a certain perspective. But he delves into the characters uh, and 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 the stuff that stuff that's going on in a way that is a little bit unCubrick. But it was it's very interesting experience watching Eyes Wide Shut. And then seeing body double and seeing how those two directors approach things <laughs> in a very different way. But man, this was one in the past year. I kept my like probably my on one hand the number of movies where I went back to them and there was just such a different gulf between what I thought of them when I first saw them and when I saw them this time. And this movie improved so much. I mean, it was just as good back when I saw it before. Uh, I've changed, but it's an amazing film. Now, Victor, yeah. you won't want to hear this. I was looking under awards. In 1999, it was the winner of the Stinkers Bad Movie Award Most Intrusive Musical Score. <laughs> I don't even know what Stinkers oh, it, is. It, it, <laughs> I don't know. it must be referring to um, that that piano line that they play over and over again. But the other thing I was going to ask you guys, maybe Victor or Dave or what have you, did this garner any Academy Award no. consideration? No. For anything. In any- it, it was way better. I was about to say, Bill, it was a much better film, in my opinion, than American Beauty by about 10 times. But yeah. but what? The Academy not recognized genius? What? Yeah, right. How's that happen? Only for the past you know, 70 years. <laughs> well, I smell a Dave rant. No, no, we can't go there tonight. <laughs> we got a lot of movies to cover. Um, so... I think uh, I think we're all degree. Well, I don't want to speak for us. Uh, se- definitely sexy. Um, everyone else. Yeah, it's too. Oh, yeah. It's too oh, sexy. Too se- too sexy. <laughs> Just too sexy for this mask. Too sexy for this oh, mask. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Greg Bench, your second movie. Oh boy! Now for something yep. completely different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the best way of describing this. This is definitely going to be something that's completely... Auto-erotica. <laughs> Again, that's a better term for what, <laughs> what, what we're about to face. Um, I went with a little movie called Titan. And 
this was my favorite movie from 2021. Oh, yes. Uh, directed by Julia Ducaneau and starring the, um, uh, oh, goodness. Vincent London. Yes. Vincent London was excellent. Uh, and that'll fulfill, obviously, many different people's fantasies. <laughs> And also, uh, 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 Agathe Rossell, oh, yeah. who plays the character of Alexa and Adrian. And so basically, it's just the story of her character as she uh, it starts off as uh, she is experienced in an uh, automobile accident where she shows her love for the automobile, but has a titanium plate embedded into her skull for obviously for to protect her brain and then we fast forward and she is now a model slash dancer for these i don't know how you would want to describe it but for the movie it's um she uh dances around for these auto shows these car shows and um, she's white snake in it white snake (laughs) yes (laughs) Yes, that's a good yeah. that's a good one. She's white snaking. She pulls it. her inner Tawny Katane. Hey, Greg, yes. you're, you're familiar with Summit Racing Parts, right? You're up there by that. Yes. Yeah. Could you imagine her at a Summit it's, Racing it's, Parts party? No, <laughs> no, I can't. No, no. But I, I mean, I've been to a couple of these. Not that heavy of an event, but yes, I mean, they're <laughs> you know, you go to some of these things, and it's like, well. Yep, they don't leave much to the imagination. Um, I'm there to see the car, though, you know, so it's like... You know, Move your... Like, I can't see the windshield. Yeah, Get it out of the way. <laughs> they're they're so kind so of she... insulted, I think, if you're looking past them. Move but... your boobs off the bumper. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> that paint costs a lot of money. Get those things <laughs> off of Seriously? Them. You're scuffing it. <laughs> I hope your pH is balanced. <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, of course, she obviously goes through a very um, uh, intricate scene where she and the car become one, and it's very... They know each other, biblically speaking. It got a little warm when that scene (laughs) hit. And um, then, ultimately... Oh, boy. (laughs) You should just just cut it right there. That's the plot. Oh, boy. (laughs) You want to leave that veil of mystery. Yes. uh, Murder, mayhem, all kinds of things happen. The horror happens. I was going to say leaking oil. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. There's there's, there's the leaking oil. There's the... See, I don't want to mess up the name, the word, because I have a hard time saying it. Androgynous. She becomes very androgynous because mm-hmm. then she has to portray a role as uh, this uh, man's son to elude uh, discovery for her murderous ways. And then it it's a complete, it's not a complete different movie, but it, it's close. Now, <laughs> there's, now, a, there's, a oh, tonal, yeah. there's a tonal shift. It's a tonal shift. And now we have uh, Vincent Linden who's now an older gentleman, but wants to maintain his sexual prowess by injecting steroids and wants to keep the, uh, his son 
alive, even though ultimately um, it doesn't quite go the way that he thinks. And it didn't quite go the way that uh, Alexa or Adrian, however, at this point, she's now Adrian, how she thought it was going to go. Didn't go the way I thought it was going to go at all either. (laughs) Well, no. And as Bill uh, alluded, there was some oil leakage and then some titanium showing and uh yeah it's it's intense and visually stunning well acted well edited and that's i mean i could talk and talk and talk and then but yeah it's uh it's 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 hot for me it's Mm -hmm. it's it's up there but it's for different reasons and it's for that that appeal for the automobile um, which is not quite as heavy as what, yeah, not that uh, is quite quite as heavy as Alexa, but you know, to to transcend it to a different movie, um, how about Christine with the story of Arnie, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know, and his love for for Christine he doesn't love it quite that much. Yeah. At least not we don't it's see, not, we don't see not, that cut. Yeah, it's it's not like the old SNL. <laughs> that gives me show the, me a new meaning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very true, but that's bad to the boner, the, yeah. Th- that that would be more of the um love that I would foresee. So uh in in the automobile, not quite as heavy as, you know, my car isn't going to protect me <laughs> from bullies, but on the other hand, um I I have had some pretty interesting cars over the years where it's like oh, I'm know, so glad you said interesting. When I was younger, I, I bought a uh, my first classic car, which was a 1963 Ford Galaxy. And when I brought it home, um, my my friend, his dad and his uncle had rental properties and they had a, an empty garage. And I was I was in in that with the car for like six, seven, eight hours, cleaning it, going through it. You know, don't want to say the words becoming intimate with it, but getting to know everything, all the nuts and bolts and everything about the car, um, listening to the exhaust. And that was probably the most, uh, yeah, heavy handed <laughs> moment with an automobile. Oh, sorry, um, sorry, Greg. I'm on the IMDb page and you're talking about how you loved it so much. Right beside it is an, uh, a picture of Butt Boy. Which I know you enjoyed. <laughs> good movie too. <laughs> not as good as this one, but um, no, not, no, not as good as Titan. And you, it was, and, and Greg's interesting because you talk about, um, and I, I mean jokingly, you talk, you know, you talk about the, uh, the love aspect, and that's it's funny because the car stuff is up front, right? All the kind of like really wild, not I mean the movie's wild all the way through, but it like the really wild like out there stuff. There's a point where I'm like, this is like the craziest horror movie I've probably ever seen, and then suddenly it just flips a switch and then it does become this exploration of uh about love right and 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 what does love mean and what does it look like as an action right like not just as a feeling mm-hmm. but as an action but uh between these two people and, th- and that part's not even the romantic part um and uh yeah i think that scene earlier is hot and there's a very weird kind of hot scene where she in in the in the androgynous phase is like up on top of a fire truck and she's dancing to this techno mm-hmm. version and i as i Baptist kid, I know this. She's dancing to this old, like 16th century hymn called 
a poor wayfaring stranger, but it's been oh, technoized. Yeah. And I'm hearing <laughs> that. And, and, and um, actually, I can't remember the name of the film, but Miranda Otto, who's in The Two Towers, sings a version of that song in some movie. It's beautiful. But I'm sitting there like, it's the hottest version of wayfaring stranger I've ever heard <laughs> and probably will ever hear again. She's dancing in front of all these firemen who don't know what to do with this because they think it's this guy's son, right? Right. And mm-hmm. What an excruciatingly strained scene to put yeah. that late in the film with so many other things going on. And wow. is the body horror takes a back seat to all of this. Well, I th- yeah, I think that wayfaring stranger is another version is what they're listening to in the car before the accident when she's a, a kid. Good call. I didn't notice that. Um, yeah. So it's kind of, it brings it around full circle. And I think one of the things that's really hot about this movie is seeing an outsider who is totally disconnected from the world around her eventually find her people. Like that's, that's sexy. That's cool. Right. The end. Yeah. Yeah. It, you, it's another film where you're, I don't want to be spoilers, but you're headed down this kind of route of tragedy to an extent, but you, you have, you have a different kind of ending. You have a like, you know, you finally have a place where she has people that are are supporting her. Yeah. And the the aspect to this that it kind of got glossed over a little bit. I'm not going to give away spoilers. Is there's a scene in a house in the first 20 minutes that's as yeah. I wouldn't say scary, but it's graphic. Yeah. As you're going to see yeah. in any horror film, and that's so wild oh, because in some ways that yeah. is the most disconnected scene from the film, like in and a certain so you, sense. But one of my so you think. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's nuts. And it's, I thought we were going to weirder film. So between that and the scene in the parking lot with the guy that wanted to see her, <laughs> you think yeah. it's going in one direction. And, you know, is it going to be like a single white female? It's going to be like up maniac. Anywhere? It's what you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it shifts, you know, and, and, mm. and, and, and it doesn't make that tonal shift till about halfway yeah. through, but you kind of think it's going one way. You get a lot of genre movie for your money. <laughs> yeah. You got a bit of sci-fi, you got a bit of horror, you got a bit of romance, you got a bit of WTF film. Like, it's it's there. You get more than a little bit. Well, yeah. I think this was, and, and, yeah. And, and, and every time you see the guy injecting himself, you're like, God, what is he putting into his body? That's, like, yeah, some of those scenes, honestly, mm-hmm. given all the stuff that happens in this film, those were maybe some of those cringy scenes, just watching him just jam that thing right in. I was like, oh. Yeah. Um and, and and how did the dad okay Yeah, well, then we're we're not yeah, we're, we're yeah, getting too deep. Yeah. But I, I was just gonna say, how did he not know something? Well, I think that's part of the film. Like I think that's part of what you come to understand is that I don't believe that he didn't know it. But anyway, no, um he's yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um I loved it and I do think it's sexy. So um and you know, the year this came out was like twenty twenty one, I believe. I yep. think I had this. I think this came number two to Last Night in Soho. They're very close, but I got to, and I love both films. But I've thought about this one a lot more, I think, than I've thought about Soho. Um, well, Nathan, the I remember since. the mo- the, the, the the day you came home after watching the theater, you messaged me right away, Bill, and said, "You got to see this." It was just wild. This has never seen anything like it, honestly. <laughs> I think the cinematography of Soho is what will always win out, though. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're both very good. Just. I, I just mentioned that that you know this movie has actually grown on me since then. Um, I, I love Soho like immediately. It took me a little longer, but this is an amazing film. I mean, we don't get enough not movies exactly like this, but movies willing to take the chances that this movie takes. This is very uh, Cronenbergian, yeah, in a very good way. Um, yeah. A good way, in, in yeah. the better sense, yeah. 
Yeah, I think, well, it's true. Yeah, that's, I think that's super brilliant. Like, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Bill. I mean, uh, this is, there's definitely very well shot and, and blocked scenes of body horror in this and raw her you know yeah. yes very uh, much so movie. like i like i think i liked raw a little bit more just because yeah, it was it was a, a, more of a human interest story and just wow i liked where it went but both of them are perfect the back-to-back they complement yeah. each yeah. other very well i like yeah. this one a little more but i think it's down to those two performances in the center of the film where it's the least weird you know and it or the least uh uh sensational not the least weird but that centerpiece where it's those two actors just going back and, and forth. I, I, I so, like so Bench, being I, the, being yeah, the car I'm guy. I'm a fan of so, Raw, but I think Titan is, is just a little bit better. Yeah, so I was going to say, Greg, being uh, Mr. Bench, being the car guy, what was the car she was on when she was leaning over in those uh, fishnets? What was that vehicle? Oh, goodness. <laughs> Bill, this is not a quiz show. We're at 255 and we got like four movies left, yeah. man. Let's move this along. <laughs> I, I, let me look at a picture. Okay. I have an idea inside my head what Dude, it is. This is where we I think, I, I think it's I think it's a Lincoln, but the thing is, is there's a lot going on in that scene, Bill. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to focus. I understand. And, and yes, it's and the car is very vivid, but as is her performance. <laughs> see, so. see, my day, but I've only um, seen the car. So. See, I, I, I didn't say that seriously. I didn't think you'd actually try to delve in to figure out what it was. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so I think, I think we're moving on to Dave, right? Dave's uh, second movie. All right. And my second movie is Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. Another psychological yes. masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> the second De Palma film on our right, right. <laughs> No. Th- this movie, there's a lot to love about this film. And let me just say that two words leap to mind immediately when I think of this film. Michelle Bauer. Yes. And that shower cap. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, she's amazing in this film. And she's only in it briefly. She's not in this movie a lot, but let me just... I mean, she's in it a lot on screen, but she's not... It's runtime. No, no, not not a lot of runtime. All of her is in it for a little bit. But she's the one. And and that's with Linnea Quigley. Linnea Quigley plays a strong role in this film as well. But Michelle Bauer... I think is what I think of when I think of uh, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. Anyway, yes. Uh, let's get to it. Jack Chandler, played by Jay Richardson, he's an LA-based uh, private eye, and he's been hired to uh, track down a teenage runaway, Linnea Quigley. He's almost like he's the private eye of a lot of other movies. He's he's an archetype, you know. It's just like it's a very much like a kind of goofy movie where they're taking this this uh, basic plot like and throwing it out there. They're really making a movie, Dave, at the level of like they're just intending it to be almost like this late night Skinamax kind of movie. But then it gets crazy, right? It's 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 almost a a riff on a Mickey Spillane. Yeah, but he's no one of those. Yeah, yeah, film noir, very yeah. much so. That, yeah, that's what it feels like in this movie. Now, now, Dave, you you didn't mention who the director was. 
Mr. Fred, Fred Olin, Olin Ray. Ray. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Fred Olin Ray. And I just looked him up. Either he does schlocky TNA films or Hallmark oh. Christmas movies. That is awesome. I did no. not know that he did as that. As far as I'm concerned, Fred yeah. Olin Ray is schlocky movies. I want like, him to see like Christmas his, Chainsaw no. Hookers on Hallmark next year. Like he did no, a whole string. He did a whole <laughs> string of them of a royal engagement, a royal Christmas engagement, baking Christmas, one fine Christmas, a Christmas in royal fashion, a wedding for Christmas. Like he just spewed no. them out. The only thing missing was Chainsaw Christmas. Yeah. I mean, let's do it. Seriously, you cut down the tree and then you cut up some dude. But but then he also did Hatfield and McCoy's Bad Blood. So like, he's, he's all, all over, over the place. But you know what? Fred Olin Ray for me is Hollywood chainsaw hookers. Yeah. That's far, that's you you mean he's not? He's he for you? He's not a wedding for no. Christmas. God damn but those you goddamn know, movies that my wife makes me watch. <laughs> now you're just baiting yeah, him, Bill. You are <laughs> baiting now. me, Bill. So I, I'm looking for another ramp. No. That's all. I'm I'd say I would watch if like Lindsay Lohan in one of these Christmas movies whipped out a shower cap and grabbed yes. the chainsaw. Like that scene, <laughs> that scene with Michelle <laughs> Gellar in Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers for me is the quintessential uh, Scream Queens. It's such a weird scene because again he's making that movie like. It's 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 not made to be this big. Hey, you know some of these movies, these cheesoid schlock movies, were made in the seventies, eighties. They're made to be in the drive-in, right? Like for everyone sitting there watching them, having this communal experience. These movies from the nineties are made for an audience of one with their they hand on their made, pants. They and, were made uh, <laughs> for video. <laughs> yeah, this idea there's some horned up kids and they're watching it. But Fred Olerey has this this kind of weird demented genius that. Michelle Bauer, she starts putting out the tarp, yeah. right? She gets the tarp out. These guys get excited. And and you're sitting there, and it's, by the time she's fully naked, and she puts the shower cap on, and she's just going to town. And at this point, anyone who's this horned up kid is already into whatever's going on. And then the chainsaw comes out, and the blood is flying, and you're like, I'm just going to go with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing I always I remember with that scene is there's a photo, there's a uh, a, a portrait on the wall of Elvis. Right. The oh, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the other, the other aspect of this film that you didn't bring up is the performance of oh, Gunnar yes. Hansen. Yeah, yeah. At the end, as that that very strange cult leader he is. Yeah. It's not a great Gunnar Hansen performance. No, it's not. But it's you know, it's to the exact picking. level of Hollywood chainsaw yes, hookers. Exactly. <laughs> Go wake up the neighbors. Yeah, yeah. And very. I love the little stuff like that, though. This moment when it just has to be like suddenly sensible in the middle of all this madness. Right. Yeah, but oh, man. well, what 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 is it? The one line that the the private dick says about uh, being stopped by pubic hair. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Could have not knocked me over with a pubic hair. Yeah, that's it. That's that's it. it. Yeah. So early on when we were doing Phantom Galaxy and when Bill came to the coast, I remember, Bill, we did an episode. We were talking about, like, I can't remember what movie it was. It had an awesome title and the movie was awful. Oh, oh was that the one about the, the pharaohs of Pittsburgh or whatever? We've reviewed 30 movies that had great titles and were awful but the point was it was like whatever it was it was so lazy it was like you wasted this great title but hollywood chainsaw hookers the movie that fred olden ray makes fits that title perfectly he earns that title he does a hundred percent 
I mean, there's there's lots of boobage in it, but there's lots of blood. There's and and the thing about it is, is not only do they get killed, the body parts fly. Right. Yeah. Well, I like the hand. The hand reaches up and grabs her. Michelle Bauer. She's like, oh, she pulls it up, and then all she's got is the hand and thrusts. Well, there's that one. The one. The one female hooker is killing the girl in the or the guy in the bathtub, and and it's just flying all over the place. And <laughs> she's got this chainsaw, like she's you know cutting a log down for winter. Uh, they must have had the best time making that movie. I mean, to be fair, I had a great time watching it, but they must have had a great time making that film. I have a question for you guys. Yep. Have you watched the In Search of Darkness series at all? The documentary. I have, I've but I haven't seen the, the newest one. one part but I two. haven't seen any of the follow-ups. They do cover this movie in oh, yes. part one or part two. I think it's part two. And they talk about, Linnea Quigley talks about how when she's doing her sexy dancing, how the, the chainsaws were running while she was in the sarcophagus and she was getting like exhaust. Uh, what? Uh, fumes. <laughs> so she actually trips walking out of the sarcophagus oh, and you can man. see her stumble. And it's because she's so dazed, she was about to pass out. She's high as well, a kite from exhaust, chainsaw yeah. exhaust. That's well, isn't it? She, she's doing the dance. The things are so heavy, she can't hold both of them yeah. at the same time well, while she's she dancing. She can't lift them up above like, her waist. So she's like trying to dance yeah. with these sexy chainsaws, right? That's so right on her waist. You're back, you're back to that, like, uh, you know, the sexy woman in the machine, like uh, Titan, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And and you know she she is naked in those scenes. She's just yes, covered with right. body paint, and, and I think her her body is so firm in yeah. this movie. <laughs> I mean, she I, I I've liked her in a lot of movies, but I, I think that she's looked the prettiest in this well, movie. I'd say she looks the perkiest uh, as well. I, I'm, I'm going. I'll, I'll, I'll say <laughs> yeah. she looks good in this movie, but I would probably go with Return of the Chain. Uh, what was it? Return of the Living Dead. Return of the yeah. Living Dead. Oh yeah, yeah. She was yeah. quite. Oh fit my god. Although. Oh, yeah. Return of the Chainsaw Dead sounds like a movie I would watch. I'm not gonna. No. We should make uh-huh. it. We should just make it. But what's what's the one time where there's hottest? What's the one time she there's a hooker at the bar and a guy goes up and he goes, "You're just a hooker," and she goes, "I'm a respectable woman." Oh, give me a break! Like, really? <laughs> I love his his <laughs> monologue throughout the whole film. Like his monologue is just. It's what makes the film for me. Yeah, yeah there's boobs. Yeah, Gunnar yeah. Hansen's in it, you, which is you, great. What is Jay, Jay monologue Chandler's great. Uh, monologue throughout this film? He's like, hey, I'm in heaven for a guy who likes big tits. <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird. Yeah, because yeah. it's not Mickey Spillane exactly. It's, uh, you know, it's not, uh, not Philip Marlowe. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Well, the, the best I, I watched a review of uh, on online of this, and they said, "Do you know the only female character in this film that wasn't a hooker was the detective's girlfriend, who might as well have been a hooker? You don't know, you see her we, naked, yeah. laying in bed. <laughs> That's all you see. Right. Um, this movie's crazy. Yeah, yeah this, this is a wild crazy. one. Recommended well, though, and rec- uh, we yeah, yeah. On, uh, saw it on Tubi. Yeah, if you're 14, you'll yeah. love this film. <laughs> don't tell you, don't tell anyone we recommended yeah. it to you. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. This, this, this came from Nathan's uncle. What? Yeah, this videotape. See Nathan's this movie. <laughs> see, see Nathan's uncle for the VHS. Nathan's, I don't know if he's seen this one. I should recommend it to him tomorrow. Is your uncle um, uh, named Joe as well? Because mine was Uncle Joe. It was a Jim. So it's just about the same. Yeah, Joe, Jim, Uncle Jim, Uncle Joe. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, fun one. Fantastic. All right, so Bill, we're getting we're actually like close to the end, and we haven't really hit four hours, but I'm sure we'll fix that. Um, 
<laughs> Bill, your second movie. Although this is going to be quick. Never mind. <laughs> oh, oh, I got a lot to say. I got a lot to say about this. Okay. You can just so, groan while he's talking. Go ahead. So again, I, I I did it based on description. Didn't know a darn thing about it. Other than it's a time frame that I like. Those mid to late 70s grindy kind of lesbian vampire-ish. Uh, something's going on behind a haunted house. Wow. What's going on here? So this is 19... 19- <laughs> This is 1973's movie called The Devil's Plaything, also known as Vampire Ecstasy. And it might have been named a oh, couple other different things depending I on where I wish I was on Ecstasy when I watched it. Not quite. It's, but it it's was Joe Sarno. Directed, uh, yeah, it was directed by Joseph Sarno, who had other films such as Desire Under the Palms, Deep Throat 2. Oh. S- Deep throatier, S- S- deeper throat. S S Operation Wolf Cub and 21, 21 Hump Street. <laughs> I got that reference. I, I, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, that was the, the other one said we've ever recorded. <laughs> oh, and his other one was he did one a, a really deep dive movie called Hung Jury. <laughs> I, I wrote all those down, and I will give you a recap. You got to tell me how Twenty One Hump Street is. I need to know. <laughs> and, and and the the mm-hmm. the cast is a bunch of people that you won't know. Other than there was an actress called Ulrich Butts, who did a <laughs> <laughs> who did a film called Swedish Lessons in Love and Campus and Campus Pussycats. So <laughs> gorgeous. I don't care what you guys say. She's gorgeous. And the and the and the IMDb description is a lesbian vampire soul is kept on in the bodies of her descendants. Sure. Skip to the <laughs> end. Skip to the end. Interesting idea. Well, well, I want to talk about the opening. So it opens <laughs> with, with 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 five nude women taking part in a ceremony where they're getting rubbed up and fondled. And drinking blood. Barely. Oh, and, and, and they're somehow in, enjoying getting fondled by this cult leader. And it's a female. It's a Do female. You, and I'm like, I'm in. I am in on this. It's all about fondling. It, it basically, <laughs> Dave. Yeah. It, it, yes, Do Greg? you remember Jerry Maguire? Yes. Do you remember when she said you had me at hello? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you had me in the first five minutes. That was me at this film. Yeah. <laughs> now... Now, now there's all these plot points I wrote. I'm not going to waste your time. No, that plot. You. Don't waste time there's these, plot points there's these, talk about these, the, well, we talk yeah. about points. There, there are, there are these groups of couples that somehow end up at this castle in this unnamed Eastern European country. Some of them under the guise of being uh, research into, I don't know, is it entomology or uh, nature or whatever it is. They were combining films now. <laughs> they were there. They're all women, a few men. Things are going on in the basement dungeons. There's lots of ceremonies going on where there happen to be five women dropping their frock at every opportunity they could. <laughs> So you're seeing the same set of boobies the whole damn time. 
and after a while you just become okay it's just more tits like it's it, 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 i call it i what did i call it a an, a vampire nudist recruitment film that's a vampire nudist recruitment there there were some very interesting yeah, candles that were that, that were being used uh, there's some kind of loose storyline that I didn't even bother with involving a uh, ghost from the past and they're coming back to re retake over someone's body or I don't know what the hell it was. When those, Bill starts what, getting frustrated and says it's just yeah. the same set of boobs, you know the movie has failed. Okay. Here's what I put. Lots of masturbation, sex, <laughs> lesbianism in a barn. Yeah. <laughs> Some hilarious penis-shaped candle. <laughs> just taking notes. You're taking a notes to a movie like this. This you movie. Describe it like that. It sounds yeah, great. Well, yeah, yeah. Make it sound like a movie you want to watch. This is and, and this and this and this is my favorite scene in the film. Towards the end, you miss this one, Nathan. You're gonna have to go back. At one point, bats attack a young woman and pull her clothes off. <laughs> that actually sounds funnier than anything I saw. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you hear what the bats sounded like? Uh, vaguely. I hope they were going huh, 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 the whole time. <laughs> it's better. They sound like kissing. They went. <laughs> they were kissing her clothes off. They're oh, genius. Oh, that's cute. Robert, but but there is a, but before the movie ends, there's a big final big orgy scene. We need one and more, I, guys. I I, I, I fully is the storyline good? No. Is there anything really redemptive about this? Boobs. But <laughs> that's even, about but it. The boobs. Let's. Let's talk about the fact that this movie is wall to wall, and yet it is, in my opinion, the least sexy movie of no. any of the ones we've reviewed. No, I look, look, hold on, Greg. Just I in 1997, I saw a movie called Microcosmos, which was a film, a French film, a documentary about insects, and they had it was one of the first movies where the camera close enough you could really see the insects and be in their world, and the scene of the two snails mating. In that movie, the classical music was like three times energetic as any of the sex scenes in this movie. This is the most low energy. There's scenes where they're just like kind of tapping their hands against each other. They're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to rub well, off. There, there is a scene with a woman in a candle. Yeah. But 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 she's just like gotta make the donuts. I mean, it is so boring. No, but I think I think uh Bill, though, of all the movies we have. Uh, I think this may be our only vampire movie, and I think um, that's a very important point because uh, vampire movies are probably the first thing I would think of if you said, give me an example of erotic horror. Because yeah. ever since Stoker wrote Dracula, I think people have been <laughs> confusing romance with horror <laughs> when it comes to a vampire. And and um, I, I think that the the legacy of sexy vampire movies speaks for itself. Like there's a lot of great ones. Well, I mean, so. I could have, I could have brought up vampires. I could have brought vampire Lambo, lesbos. I could have brought any of the English. To be fair, films. Bill like, didn't know lot. what this movie was. No, but, all I saw but, was, but way to be glass half full, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, yeah, it's an important. I, I did I did give it a five out of ten. Generally, go watch Life Force, cool. guys. Oh, Life Force, yes, masterpiece. Yeah. Life Force. Mm. Well, well, this one they were getting a piece. I wouldn't call it master. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. I so saw. I gave it five out of ten because of the that movie. is ex- that is as generous as Santa Claus, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> mm. 
I agree with Victor though that vampires are probably the most romanticized of the horror villains. For sure. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I think in some ways that might be why we didn't pick them. It's a, most of the movies I would have picked, we've have been kind of well worn in a sense. You know, like we've like a lot of them have been talked about. I mean, even even on the male side, Christopher Lee was a very erotic uh, uh, vampire, Dracula. And even he like played he more the, feral than, like, mm-hmm. even Bela Lugosi was going for full-out, yeah. like, uh, seduction. I mean, if you uh, – seriously, listeners, if you haven't seen uh, Vampire Lesbos or Vampires. Yeah, Vampires. Vampires is, is the one that – yeah. Vampires is a genuinely good – and I would place that one against this one to point out that in vampires, you when there aren't as many scenes as you'd expect, given that movie's like kind of legacy or its reputation, mm-hmm. but the scenes that are there are pretty hot. There's yeah. like three times as much nudity in this movie, and I'm just like, oh, okay. Even the it's again, we've talked about this a lot. It's the ambiance, it's the way the film is put together. There's a mystery to it. It's a very well-made movie, despite the fact that, you know, I think it's a lot of people look at it like, oh, it's the lesbian vampire thing, but it's really well done. Well, and I think it, it yeah. really serves purpose to, to say that we appreciate good filmmaking, right? We appreciate bad filmmaking. I mean, well, to a degree. <laughs> like in this case, like we're talking about like vampires, which vampires is uh, it's readily available on Shutter. Yeah. Something that, yeah. That's yeah. widely known as a skip the remake, though. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Ooh, I didn't even know about it. Now, the other part of this film is they were in such a strong German accent. I didn't know what the hell they were saying half the time. I don't think they they did either. Whatever. I've 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 seen a lot worse (laughs) movies, but one that had some promise, I was really disappointed by this So, and to be fair, I'll admit I turned it off like before the film was done, so I can't give it a rating. But I was not impressed. I I stayed the whole way through, but it to me was it's not sexy, even though that yeah, there's a there's a ton of nudity, which is baffling in a way, right, Greg? Yeah. (laughs) Now I will say that what was her name? Uh, Ulrichy Butts. She (laughs) Ulrichy Ulrichy Butts. She she is gorgeous, but yeah. Well, whoever watches this, do a drinking game. And every time you see a different set of boobs, take a okay. shot. Every time you want to turn the movie off, take a shot. Or every time you see some sort of ceremony where there's five nude women dancing. Every time the shot. boom mic falls into the shot, take a shot. Hey, that only happened twice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, yeah, Did you say is, boom or boob mic? The, boob, the <laughs> yeah. boob mic would be great. Like it's just attached, like right on the nipple. Like this. This was speak this into it. I right, can't hear. For an SCTV takeoff, it, yep. you know something like that. It's Nathan's. The none to take off. It was off the whole movie. Nathan's <laughs> describing the the pasties from Flesh Gordon, but they're microphones. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I was going to say, Greg, did you have your wife watch Devil's Play? <laughs> no, no, she would not have said it. would be divorced right now. Um, <laughs> it'd be solo play thing after that one. So just like in Sleepy Hollow, like Ichabod Crane, I could see the the other side of the bridge, guys. Let's bring this home. <laughs> we're, all, we're almost across. Um, anybody have any other comments about whatever the hell this movie's called? <laughs> <laughs> the the poster is not bad. No. Hey. 
So let's uh, and that and Bill, that's our rule, right? That's our thing. Like if it's got a good poster, the movie is <laughs> atrocious. Gotta be, movie's got to be crap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, hey, you also picked Emmer, so let's remember that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> better than VOD roulette. It's it, it, it's, yeah. it, it's my it's my yin and yang. This that's was this what a, this should have been a VOD roulette movie. But hey, the fact that it wasn't means I didn't have to watch the whole thing. So yay. <laughs> um, but yes, there are a lot of there are a lot of good um vampire and sexy vampire movies out there and uh it, going all the way back really there are some great movies yeah. from the, the 40s the 50s the 60s um you could argue nosferatu is erotic yeah. horror um and certainly bram stoker's dracula the coppola one Jeez, is, it hundred wow. percent is yeah. yes um I, I still love that film and you know there's oh, a yeah, really good one from 2009 that was made by um was it Zan Cassavetes? I believe it was called Kiss of the Damned. Oh yeah, great soundtrack <laughs> yes. too. Yeah, and it's a good movie, and it's made in the the vein of the seventies vampire movies. But it was a newer movie. I really recommend that one. I actually thought about picking that for the show originally, and then I went with the two movies I did. But it's a what, good one. Which one was it? Yeah, well, it's called. I think it's Kiss of the Damned. If I'm not mistaken, Kiss of the Damned. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. Well, the, the other one is that gives me a leg cramp just thinking of it is Embrace of the Vampire. It gives me a leg. <laughs> I still haven't seen that. It is. Uh, it, oh, she looks. Oh, okay. I don't want all. It's the, the totally bad. like the like it be the Skinamax thing. It is a hundred percent. That is exactly what that movie was made for. It's a little um, Alyssa Milano that works yeah, with her yeah, own yeah. boss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jennifer <laughs> Tilly. Jennifer Tilly's in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kiss of the Damned. It was 2012. It was Anne Cassavetes, and it's a. Um, it's a good movie. I, I recommend it, Greg. Uh, all Gregs. Everybody on this podcast. If you haven't seen it, check it out. <laughs> is, she re- is she related to the other Cassavetes? Yeah. Yes. Daughter, I, I believe, so. right? Daughter, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I see. It. Yeah, Nick Cassavetes. Okay. It's very good. And it's got a good, it's got a great cast. Uh, and the and the the lead actress who's the redheaded vampire, she is, she looks great. She's Josephine uh, De La Boom. And then uh, Milo Ventimiglia, who uh, is in, uh, I guess. Uh, oh, Milo. Um, yeah, Milo. And uh, I said Milo, didn't it's late. Michael Rappaport's in the movie, of all people. Riley Coe's oh. in the movie. It's got a good cast. Oh, Anna Magala. Magala, yeah. yes. Yeah. You, it's a good one. I I didn't know anything about it. It was sent to me back when I was a critic. I was one of the screeners, and I put it in. I was like, wow, this is a legitimately, legitimately good movie. So I recommend it. So um, let's bring this thing home. My second movie was a film that I picked uh, – Mostly because in, in in like Anchor Man, when like uh, the um, uh, the brick character is just looking around, <laughs> he's looking at things to be the Steve Carell. He's like, uh, I love lamp because it happens to be in his viewpoint. Uh, I, I think when we were picking movies, the 4K of this film had just showed up on the like the doorstep, and I was like, great excuse to watch this. So like, I need an excuse. But uh, this is Stuart Gordon's From Beyond. Uh, and this is follow up to Reanimator. Uh, came out, I think, nineteen eighty six, and uh, in between Reanimator and then I think he did <laughs> Dolls after this. Uh, it's the movie that I remember. Uh, Gene Siskel, who classically never seemed to like horror movies, and was always upset because they had a lot of blood and depravity in them. But for whatever reason, he liked this movie. But in <laughs> describing it, he was like, oh, it's got gore, it's got monsters, and some unnecessary kinky sex. To which point, Roger Ebert stops him and says, Gene, what could be unnecessary about kinky sex? 
<laughs> and, and again, in classic Roger fashion, he continues to then point out that, yeah, that was kind of unnecessary, <laughs> but he just wanted to burn Gene. Um, but this movie, which is based off of, uh, and I guess based off of is a little loosely that Stuart Gordon liked, uh, loved HP uh, Lovecraft. But as we kind of pointed out in our, in our um, like chat, we were talking and, and, Victor, you said something. It's like, I kind of feel like H.P. Lovecraft seemed, you look at his writing and everything, and, and everything we know about him, kind of seemed a little bit asexual, right? Like, that didn't really totally. enter into yeah. his ranks. He was more about the paranoid existential ideas that we we're all going to be crushed by, <laughs> by cosmic entities that uh, had no compassion or forgiveness or care about us whatsoever. So he was a little preoccupied. But Yeah, I, I think that ju- just the fact that there aren't really any women in Lovecraft stories, like he's got a bunch of stories and there's never any romance. Yeah. One of never, the primary never. stories where there's a woman at the forefront, she wants to be a man, like literally become a man. She is a man. Yeah, she is like, a she, man. That's right. She's, she's a, you're right. She's a man transfer. from the beginning, from the go. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. spoiled that, but I won't tell you what the story is. So you don't know, mm-hmm. but uh, I will say um, there's a good documentary about HB Lovecraft um, out there that everyone should watch. It's pretty good. What's the name of that one? Um, uh, let me look it up Greg real quick. I, okay. I saw it uh, just recently, but I don't remember the name of it. And wh- while you're doing that, I'll talk a little bit about this one. But from beyond the story, the actual short story deals is primarily only has two characters in it. Uh, you have the narrator, and then you have Crawford Tillinghast, who's a a uh, intellectual and a scientist who has sort of sequestered himself in his home, is away from all of his colleagues, and he's trying to kind of prove this idea he has about the world and the extent of the world. He's created this thing called the resonator that's going to interact with your pineal gland and allow you to see or experience things beyond normal human perception, which allows you to see these other worlds. And then the course of the story, we get the idea or the possibility that maybe it does more than allow you to perceive them, that it actually draws things, uh, entities from that other world into our world. And then now that, now that they can see us, that's problematic, and uh, you just might get eaten. Uh, the story itself is very uh, has those paranoid and melancholy and and sort of existential elements that we associate with a lot of the classic Lovecraft stories. It is a classic Lovecraft story, but it really stays within a very creepy and cloistered vibe. Uh, and it's really those two those two characters, and it's purely horror. I think with sci fi horror. Uh, it's a fantastic story. I won't go into it here, but I will, uh, because this episode just isn't long enough already at the end, when this is over, uh, if you you haven't already turned it off, I have included, uh, actually Victor, who's with us tonight, did a recording of this back uh, in early days of Phantom Galaxy or, or the return of Phantom Galaxy, uh, did an audio narration of the original from beyond story. And he did an awesome job. It's, it's an amazing, uh, version of it it'll be at the end of this if you want to hear it check it out not very sexy at all uh unless you're really turned on by resonators and things you know giving off buzzy vibes and invisible monsters but it's a great story you can hear it there Stuart gordon takes a very different approach to lovecraft which i think is interesting because you can tell by looking at Stuart gordon's films that he really loves like 50 science fiction i think and 50s horror films uh horror films of yesteryear in a sense but he in the eighties, he took that and he kind of wanted to bring them into the more, you know, he uses all that color to bring the blood and the guts and the comedy. Uh, and even the, like 
drama to the forefront. He really was a stage play guy. You can tell because from beyond seems like it could be like the weirdest stage play of all time. Uh, there's a lot of, of, of gruesome, gory things that go on in the film, but you still have the idea of Crawford Tilling guest here. He's more of a research assistant to Edward Pretorius. Now Pretorius's name is pulled from, you kind of go back to bride of Frankenstein and the doctor in that film. And right. Gordon has sort of done that purposely. He's played by Ted Sorrell here. And the opening scene of From Beyond is really catches you like right off the bat. You see uh, Jeffrey Combs is playing Tillinghast. He was in Reanimator. He has the resonator built, turns it on, and then boom, we have these creatures, these eel-like creatures swarming around. They attack him. Sorrell ends up uh, uh, coming. He, he comes out in like this weird robe. He's like, why are you interrupting me? I'm pretty sure he was like in the middle of God knows what. And, uh, and, and so he comes out, goes to the resonator, and something beyond just these smaller creatures sort of emerges. And Sorrell, who seems like a guy who was probably uh, – in most of his uh, career was getting hit, uh, getting head ends up giving head. I think uh, I believe that Combs says something to the effect of it bit it off like a gingerbread man. And so Ted Sorrell's head is bitten off. Combs ends up Crawford Tilling guess ends up in the uh, mental hospital. And then he's visited by Catherine Michaels played by Barbara Crampton, who gets to kind of be more center stage here, even more so that she wasn't reanimator and she wants to, she believes that the machine and everything that the machine does is real. Uh, she wants to take her, him under her custody and go back to the house. They end up going back there with, uh, you know, uh, they send a police or, you know, I, I guess a detective with them who's played by uh, Ken Furry, who playing Bubba, who is probably one of my favorite characters in the film. He ends up being kind of the no-nonsense guy who needs all the weird science gobbledygook explained to him. But he's also the guy who tries to keep these two, uh, almost essentially, at least emotionally speaking, kids uh, at bay from turning on the resonator. Because the other thing the resonator does, besides sort of giving your pineal gland a stiffy, is that it uh, sort of brings out your sexual... Uh, uh, breaks down your inhibitions. It brings out... Uh, your maybe buried sexual desires. And the, it's funny because the whole plot, the way he plays with it here, Gordon, he almost has the plot of a softcore like movie going, but every point where there would be sex, instead he just has giant gloopy monsters pop out of the resonator and like, <laughs> like tear things apart. So everywhere there would normally be sex, boom, this happens. But with the heart of it, you do have these characters. It's less about things going bump in the night than these repressed people who want to go bump in the night. And then Ken Furry sort of in the middle of it, and he's just sort of like, he, he, he just straight up kind of says, yeah, I kind of popped a boner when the resonator went off. But, you know, that stuff happens. He He's not shaken by it. And he keeps trying to get these people sort of on the same page. But it's interesting because when it, at certain points Crampton runs and turns the resonator on, Combs runs out too. It's like they're just two teens running at each other after the prom is over. Uh, right. Eventually the resonator goes off. Sorrel, uh, Pretorius finds his way back. And just like in life, he's just kind of, you know, after he's seen everything that's in the great beyond, he still seems to just want to score, even though at this point he looks like a cross between a busted hot pocket and a chewed piece of gum. And uh, where the movie goes is crazy. I think that at some point Gordon loses the script a little bit. I think it's just about the point where Ken Foray exits the film. Uh, and after the quote unquote unnecessary kinky sex, which is the main scene that I remember from that movie when I saw it originally, and it is a pretty odd scene because I don't know what's happening there exactly. I don't know if Crampton's sort of being possessed by Sorrell or she's just sort of giving 
herself over to it, but there is this undercurrent of the kind of that swells into some kinky things and uh, kinky in the sense of like whips and chains and the BDSM sort of scene, but it's implied too as the film goes on. The part of that is because Sorrel was essentially impotent, and that's a that's a theme that goes through all three of these characters. Crampton is repressed. Combs is sort of a kind of lost puppy dog who's sort of watched from afar. Sorrel have all these encounters, and you're never clear if he had if he wanted to be a part of those encounters with Sorrel, or if he was longing for the women. That's never you know that's that's never pursued exactly. But that element of the film is very interesting because it's very different than Cronenberg. We have body horror here, but it's not from that same detached, more clinical perspective. It's from the perspective of like a jokey teenager. It has the tone of like a raunchy 80s comedy sometimes, even though it has all these fantastical special effects and monsters popping out everywhere. And then in the middle, you have Crampton just throw on some S&M gear and try to ride uh, ride uh, uh, Combs the same way that a few scenes earlier... <laughs> Ken Free and his Speedo was riding that giant worm that crawled up out of the basement. <laughs> but I really enjoyed this film. I, I Sexy or not sexy, that scene I mentioned is, is very sexy. And I think that Crampton and Combs have an energy that's great. Like, I would actually watch them in a totally straight movie that had no aliens or resonators or monsters uh, or, or kinky BDSM in it. Uh, I really am intrigued by that. It doesn't quite go there, but man, it's just such a fun, fun, fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think one, one really cool thing, not, not since, um, Orson Welles, like had his Mercury theater group uh, that, you know, he would recast and cast in his movies. Like, I think that's what Gordon was doing with this. Like he just kind of put everybody in different roles, but the same people. Um, and, uh, the results are great. Like it's um it's awesome yeah it's Lovecraft plus. You talk about um really supportive wives. <laughs> so Carolyn Purdy Gordon, who is his wife, not only does she allow him to make this movie where he's got Crampton running around this SMM gear doing all this stuff, he also allows to have a scene. She's in the film. His wife is in the film as the as the doctor at the hospital, who's awfully vindictive. She has no sense of uh, the medical code at all, and. She 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 allows him to have a scene where she Jeffrey Combs basically sucks on her eye socket, right? And that's basically the same character she plays in Reanimator, yeah, right? Basically. Like she plays like a stern doctor. Yeah. I don't know what that says exactly, but it's interesting. It's very interesting. <laughs> but that that outfit is awesome. Like it is an awesome outfit. I was at um convention last year, Terror at the Falls in Niagara Falls, and Foray was there, and I asked him. Yeah. I said. What about uh, Stuart Gordon? And what do you remember about that scene with Crampton? And he bypassed the Crampton question. <laughs> That's funny. Well, and I love and I said, in that scene, Bubba, he looks at her and she's going after him. He goes, you're going to get it. <laughs> you're really asking for it or something like that. But then he, yes. you know, he pulls back. I love, I was really disappointed when his character sort of exits the movie because he's the only thing. It's like the resonator, rec- the forces and beyond recognize that if they pull him out of the equation, these two people are lost. Yeah. Like he's the, he's the voice of reason. He's the only grounded yeah. character in the whole movie. Yeah. And that's, I love that because he does follow that pattern that unfortunate was unfortunate time where, you know, the, the, the African-American character kind of dies first or the person of color dies first, but he's, he kind of Gordon juxtaposes it against the fact that he's the guy who's got it together. He says, you know, you may be an intelligent doctor, but you sound like a junkie right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I asked him about Stuart Gordon, and he goes, all he, all he said about Stuart Gordon, he goes, he owes me money. <laughs> well, wasn't he already dead by that point? Well, he's, oh, he's long dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, Foray, uh, you know, he, he said that during the shoot of that film, he was going through a lot of personal things that he wouldn't elaborate into. And I think it was almost a therapeutic thing for him to actually shoot the film. So I think, you know, in the scenes where there's anguish or that kind of thing, I think they were genuine with what he was going through. Um, an interesting thing, too, and I only noticed this because I've been watching so much this schlock in, like, in, like, the same time space as the others. Uh, the Dentist, which is a film that Brian Yusna directed, and Brian Yusna worked <laughs> on this, but uh, Stuart Gordon originally was planning to direct The Dentist, and he had worked on the script. Uh, for raising that one too, and again, he's holding the apple. He's always got that apple that he's like biting into. Walks around. It's like the apple is his go-to prop in these films. <laughs> yeah, and there's a there's an ongoing gag with the um, <laughs> sort of the scene of the crime tape that they put around the bodies <laughs> um, the head? <laughs> because the bodies have been horribly changed <laughs> by the way they died. The the tape is hilarious. Like. It's it's a couple of scenes. Yeah, and I think that's the part that kind of breaks into the you know sexy not sexy. It's 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 not that sexy because it keeps wanting to be a comedy. Like it just sort of like keep he keeps wanting to run a gag in there or or have like or make you want a gag like with some of these like gore effects. But it, it reminds me of a film you know 10, 15 years later, Slither. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I get where that. Where, where they're just kind of gross, but they're still trying to get some. You know, yeah. like, right? Hey, man! Got, everybody, yeah. everybody has needs. I get it, but when your face is half torn off and you look like a big blob, you ain't getting it. <laughs> you guys were talking That's, about uh, James, James Gunn, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys were talking about yeah. Stuart Gordon's personality, though. I think it was Mick Garris had said that on the set of um, Masters of Horror, he they were doing the Black Cat. He was like, "Well, just go get a real cat and pluck his eye out." And, that's what we do, and Mick was like, "We can't do that." And like, no one realized that Stuart Gordon was joking. Like, oh yeah, he had a very sardonic sense of humor. It's it's funny too because I see these reviews. Um, I was looking at the reviews on Letterbox, and our good friend Matt Rawlings wrote, "I don't want to see the director's browser history in reference to this film." That's awesome, right? Uh, any other thoughts about From Beyond? Uh, it's just it's it's definitely it's Stuart Gordon, Jeffrey Combs. Je- Jeffrey Combs is literally the victim throughout the whole movie. Like you don't really realize it because he's the male character in the in the film, but he's the victim throughout the whole film. And when you when you really break it down, like Pretorius is, uh, you know, he's a jerk to Combs's character and then Crampton comes in and she's kind of like a jerk to his character in the sense that she won't turn the resonator off and it's like poor Combs can't catch a break in this one which is I guess turnabout's fair play because during reanimator he you know tormented you know Barbara Crampton the instigator so yeah that's that's my the only guy the only person seems to have a like uh empathy for him is again a foray who like Looks gently wounded when he has to pick him up after that worm has sucked all his hair off or whatever. Hmm. I mean, the, the only other thing I would say is not having read the story. I don't know, uh, Victor, you probably have, and Nathan probably has. Is this thematically similar? Is it literally similar? Nope. <laughs> I, no. <laughs> well, well, what what is the connection other than inspired in the quotes? first five no. minutes of the film are basically the short story. Yeah. 
Okay. From there, he just gave it legs and went yeah. with it. Yeah. So okay. the premise, and that's okay. it. Okay. But they, so there is no there there is no really goopy guy or whatever in the. No. Uh, in fact, no. you're yeah. What's weird about the story, and again, you'll be able to hear it here in just a few minutes, is the Lovecraft is giving this sense of like things that truly like he's trying to explain cosmic things, but do it in you know that I can't explain it. It's undescribed. It's indescribable. It's a color I couldn't possibly tell you about, or it's a monster I couldn't tell you about. But it kind of works. I don't know how you feel, Victor. It kind of works in this particular story because he. The creatures are sort of invisible and they're hinted at. And the way they're brought into the story is very creepy. Like, because it it makes sense for them to be sort of a, uh, ephemeral, if you will, in this particular story. Yeah. Right. They kind of look projected. And that's, you know, since I saw this movie before I read the original story, um, that's the way I <laughs> envision it when I read it. Um but uh, yeah, the there's a lot of really cool stuff about this movie. Like the the look of the resonator is really cool. The tuning forks, yes. like that, definitely set off something in my imagination. And uh, and the the lighting and and the sound that it makes, like when they turn it on, it's like that. Yeah, I tried to add like, that similar sound when we did the the audio. You can hear the zzz, like the, the 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 buzzing, and it sounds like it's reverberating. <laughs> Yes, yes, uh, and it definitely enhances it, uh, just like it does in this movie. So, yeah, and I and there's a great and the again he we interject comedy. There's that scene in the beginning when the lady who has the little dog who runs into the house and is like licking at the hole where uh, Sorel's head used to be. That lady <laughs> runs up and she gets freaked out. She's run down the stairs and and Combs can't get oh, out of the house fast enough. And he like pushes fire <laughs> and you have this great shot. It's almost like a Sam Raimi style shot of this gliding shot of her running, screaming, and her, her face is like the camera is on her face. And then here comes Combs behind her. He like shoves his way, shoves her out of the way and runs down the stairs. And that's when you realize I'm in for something a little different than what I'm expecting. Yeah. He's like tearing her down like George Costanza. Yeah, it just it's exactly what happens. And <laughs> and that tone kind of carries through the whole film, even towards the end when, you know, Combs is screaming. He's got that thing sticking out his forehead and he's screaming at Sorrell, you're impotent, you're impotent. And his little pineal gland is flopping all around. Um, so ridiculous. <laughs> but a lo- I do love the movie. And I have to say, if you are a fan of the film, and it's been for a long time, it's really been either on DVD or in versions that uh, have been out of print, it's got a 4K that Vinegar Syndrome released. And first mm-hmm. off, the 4K looks amazing. And they put some brand new. They poured it over most of the special features, but they got a brand new documentary in the making of uh, nice. that's really, really cool. So I highly recommend it. If you if you like the film at all, this is about the best way to see it. The, um, and it looks great. Uh, all those practical effects really kind of come through. So. Yeah, and um, I, I don't know if they main, if they carried this over, but from the original DVD that I had, there's a director's commentary track, and it's awesome. It's it's you know it's Stuart Gordon just talking 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 you through how he made the movie. Yes, they and, have uh, that. It's they, hilarious. That's on there. They got that audio, audio commentary, and they have a couple of um, interviews with him as well uh, in a, in a, like several of them. So there's a wealth of stuff on there. So it's well worth uh, picking up. He's a great guy. Um, the any love, the Lovecraft documentary that I was talking about earlier was Fear of the Unknown. So Ooh, I am yeah. adding that. Have you seen it, Victor? I, I've seen it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's awesome. It's a great documentary. Okay, I'm adding it to the list. Is it streaming anywhere? Do you know, Greg? Uh, I think it's on Amazon. 
if I remember. Oh, very or cool. Peacock. Well, I, will, I think it's all Peacock. It Peacock. Peacock. Oh, awesome. I have Peacock, so I will check it out. Um, that's awesome. I, I really look forward to seeing that. So, yeah. So, I would, I, I'd say sexy places and in other places, um, just a good time. You're going to enjoy the enjoy it if you like. Uh, I think, again, he's kind of taking the themes and the ideas of 50s horror films and, and going some different places that they couldn't really go at that time frame. Uh, yeah. I agree. Um, okay, guys. Anything else before we wrap this whole thing up? Um, I got. I don't have anything. Anybody else? I just have to uh, tell Bill that uh, it would have been a, like a mid '80s Cadillac, probably a Coupe de Ville, and Titanus. <laughs> That's what Greg has been doing this entire time. I've been sitting here quietly waiting for that exact moment to bust that <laughs> moment to bust just, it out. I just. Perfect. I do believe it was some species of Coupe de Ville, <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I don't miss my I, guess. Yeah, I, I, um, can't, I can't really tell with the, you know, the images. Her eyes? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, that what it is? There's a lot going a lot on there. there. But so yeah, did, it's a, definitely a, a Cadillac. I was close with the Lincoln. I couldn't rem- My mind was a little f- fuzzy for obvious reasons. But looking back and looking at the photos... Uh, it's definitely a Cadillac. As I said, it was a throwaway comment. Know, it did I not know, need but... extra research. This is Fan Galaxy, man. Nothing's a I know, throwaway. But I, need, I needed to redeem that. myself, Bill, because some dude was probably yelling into his sale locally, so I'm going to stock up on my brisket. So there'll be plenty of photos coming up soon. I thought it was some kind of metaphor. The brisket is on <laughs> sale. Or like it's like 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 a like a Manchurian candidate thing. The brisket is on sale, but the price oh, is too I've steep. I've been activated. Yeah, I've been activated. Exactly. <laughs> Victor's gonna be in the, the grocery store in the middle of the night just buying a bunch of like meat. Uh, in the hen house. Fox is in the hen house. Fox is in the hen house. The the brisket <laughs> the brisket is on broil. Um anyway. Oh, uh, wow. Stanley Kubrick was 70 when he died. Who was? Stanley Kubrick was 70. Okay. Well, this has actually been everything I hoped it would be. <laughs> this, <episode. laughs> this was great fun, guys. And uh, and honestly speaking, I think we kept it. Uh, as, as you're at first, I thought about... you said Art Bell tones, which was also kind of funny. <laughs> no. As you're, as you're thinking about uh, a sand caving in on you. Yeah, I think that yeah. might be my big record. But that, Eyes Wide Shut, those were the two like at the top of my list. Um, yeah. but Just remember. Hammer as well. Yeah. There's always that one guy across the way peeping on you through his telescope. <laughs> yeah, body yeah. double too. Oh, my God. Yeah, a lot of great, a lot of, uh, lot of good movies. Um, well, is that why I do it in front of my window hoping somebody will <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> like this man has walked past in this speedo twice yes was it friends that had the naked guy okay. yeah naked guy it was like always walking or, or no the seinfeld with the naked lady across <laughs> friends the did have like the naked dude it was like he was like, ugly naked guy, or ugly, ugly or naked guy yeah yeah yeah, and also a uh, naked guy was in PCU, like uh, that Jeremy Piven. <laughs> the movie that like Comedy, Comedy Central, movie. when it first showed up, Comedy Central had like the yes. license for two movies, and one of them was PCU, and the other was like uh, Airheads, <laughs> and they just played those two movies constantly. Yeah. Airheads was yes. so good, though. <laughs> I'm not you know knocking what, either but, movie, but they played them like to ad nauseum. This. But you know, before before we go into outros, I just want to say um, the uh, when Bill was talking about uh, Amer, um, yeah, the, the those two filmmakers, uh, they have another movie that 
was is more recent and it's called let the corpses tan yes and i highly recommend that too it also has erotic elements but it's less so than amer it's a little different yeah it's a kind of a little brutal too yeah yeah, but, more, but is it in, is it in the same vein of minimal dialogue? Yes. Yeah, it, it, uh, yeah it it's it, it's it's very Tarantino esque, but with no talking. If you can imagine that, that title, yeah. dope. That title could be the greatest black metal band of all time. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a good it's one. A I title. I do recommend it. Um, good good call, Victor. Um, so yeah, let's. Oh, yeah, I was going to say the, the the last thing is I'm very curious, Nathan, what you put in as the cover art for this episode. <laughs> oh, it's it's going to be be cramped in all the way. Um, I'm just I don't know. Maybe I'll have to do a like a. Uh, it'll 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 probably be the penisaurus. Um, <laughs> just out of the front. There. If not, I'm going to be so disappointed. In that. Hanging out, just <laughs> flopping in the wind, but um. Yeah, let's go ahead and do our outros. Guys, thanks so much for listening, if indeed you still are listening. Um, Victor, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you wrap this up because I do know that you dropped last time that you uh, do have some erotic fiction out there. So I hope you, I hope you uh, pimp that uh, in the, in the, in the uh, closing here. So go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your work. I will, yeah. Um, I, I guess there's a, there's a, there's a cannibal uh cannibal x-rated story i have called um casadores included in the anthology uh, bon appetit <laughs> <laughs> story the subtitle is stories and recipes for human consumption uh, so nice. if you've ever wanted to see the softer side of cannibals check out that book and there there are some really good stories in it you know not mine i mean you know mine's good but there's some really <laughs> like good don't, don't be fooled there are good stories in this book yeah. it's a book that i enjoyed reading as well okay um but uh but yeah uh erotic horror yeah there's um uh, there 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 i've probably made more money selling uh, erotic horror fiction that, than i've made with all the other stories i've sold combined like all the pg rated stories i've <laughs> sold. so have you done a lot cuz i these are these are the stories i'm not familiar with so far no i, I have, uh, or, and, I have five. and victor victor is there going to be an audio uh, podcast for those ones. It, what's, if so, it's not going to be spoken by me. It's too embarrassing. Um, <laughs> Is it going to be called maybe, up into the sound of fear or something? <laughs> yeah. If I, if I can find, you know, as uh, beef says in Phantom of the paradise, a professional, um, I can maybe pull that off. Ooh, ooh. Uh, the raging sound of fear. <laughs> yes. <indeed. laughs> Um, yeah, I have I have uh, like four f- four stories, and they're all related because they're all they all go back to this Spanish family, and uh, some of them are vampires, and some of them aren't, and and they but they're sort of the hunger type vampires. They're not they don't have fangs; they just uh, eat human flesh. And um, on their off time, so are Euro trash. Right. Yeah. And, and, the, and it, so the, the pieces they're all period pieces. Like one's in eighteen hundred, one's in the sixteen hundreds, one's modern day. Um, so I think I got a, I got a new collection there somewhere when I, maybe when I get another story together, you should, uh, Victor, you should do a follow up to uh, bone tomahawk. Oh man. Actually. Yeah. That, uh, that scene, I, I did rip off that scene for one of the stories. <laughs> okay. Jeez. <laughs> no, no. Good artist. Oh, but yeah. Steel, uh, 
They're a great, good artist borrow, great artist steal. <laughs> but with, thank you very much. But with with that said, um, you know, I write I write other things. Um, <laughs> I, to be fair, I've read a lot of good stories that Victor's written. I haven't read any of the erotic ones yet. Well, I was going to say, but but on the other hand, Victor needs to pay the mortgage. Yeah. So look up. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes, indeed. Uh, fiction writers don't make a lot of money, so give me a break and buy some of these. Um, I I will link to them in twitter when you post it but they don't let me do it on facebook they they blur them out um so i've been censored fuck those guys <laughs> um, then, hey, ironically you've just been censored again uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> might have to leave that in for dramatic impact but uh but yeah uh, i also write other things like i write a lot of noir fiction and um a couple of the movies we covered today were noir stories and uh yeah every quarter if you're in seattle like if you're listening to this uh and you are mr watson or sasquatch maybe um come see me at the alibi room every quarter i'm reading reading usually original fiction that you've never seen before in front of my peers very terrifying (laughs) Um, but yeah, um, other than that, uh, yeah, buy The Sound of Fear. You can get it on Amazon, digital or print. Um, if you want to listen to it, you can check out my podcast Inside The Sound of Fear, produced by the brilliant Josh Ellis. And um, uh, follow me at Dime Store Caesar on Twitter or Instagram, and I'll link to all that stuff. Very cool. Um Thank you, Victor, again for being on. And when you reference Sasquatch, now is that like uh, somebody's user handle, or did you mean the Sasquatch? <laughs> well, I would love it if the Sasquatch came to hear me do a performance. You're up in the right but, area for it. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, no, but no, but that's a, it's a handle. Like there's yeah. a there's some there's a listener that calls himself. That. Okay. Um, all right. So Greg Bench, how about you? Oh, I'm just easy to find. It's you know this this ragtag group here. I'm I'm usually loitering in the background, um, so I mean I'm on Facebook underneath my name Greg Bench, and over there on Twitter QUA four one nine, and anywhere else that uh, social media exists, I'm on there in some way, shape, or form, or just look for the pictures of some killer barbecue, or you know, <laughs> and that's probably going to be me. So. But but Very thank, cool. thank Great. you thank for you. having me on. This was uh, a lot of fun, uh, a little bit outside my box. But you know, who doesn't like talking about uh, exactly? That's what she said. <laughs> I knew it was coming. We at least <laughs> oh, and again, what she said. We at but, least one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, right. We 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 were pretty reserved. In some I had way. to rise to the occasion. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could go all night. Boom. Right. I mean, you know. No, it was a lot of fun. Oh, I, expect, I expect barbecue at Horror Hound, FYI. I, I, uh, for traveling purposes, I can honestly say it'll probably be pulled pork. So That's that's okay. fine. I don't care. I'm fat. So. I just need meat. <laughs> meat with barbecue, man. Let's there do it. Go. <laughs> all right uh, and other greg greg Bazzelli, uh go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you oh yeah that's me um hiding outside alexander scars <laughs> oh sh- man i would have a restraining order slapped on me so fast <laughs> oh man could you imagine if him and me and goth lived in the same place <laughs> cool. i'd be done anyway <laughs> 
Uh, you can find me if you really, if you really want to. I'm not sure that anybody does. Um, at Monsters and the Mosh Pit uh, on Facebook, uh, Monsters Mosh Pit on Twitter, Monsters and the Mosh Pit yeah. podcast, pretty much everywhere else, uh, including TikTok, where you can see our variety of mixed drinks that we make for each episode. Uh, we are a horror and heavy metal podcast where we cover one horror movie and one heavy metal album in depth with spoilers track by track because my one friend Dave is a moron and he's never listened to any horror or watched any horror or listened to any heavy metal and um, that's a shame and we try to rectify that and that's me and all my friends trying to educate him on such things. Uh, we have a couple uh episodes out now obviously i think we're up to like 16 ish uh the problem is i'm terrible at editing and i'm lazy so yeah they come out when they come out but keep informed by joining our group uh just like phantom galaxy and all the other groups uh, we try to keep it uh, pretty fun and open and yeah drama free other than that it was fun it was, it was funny greg today i was uh getting ready for our classes and i was thinking I should come on. We should do uh, the void. The void. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you has, has your buddy seen the void? Oh, I, I, it, it, it was literally a random <laughs> thought that popped into my head. The only void he's seen is the void at the end of the bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> so is he aware that you basically you just sell the podcast based on the fact that you consider him an idiot? Yes, we have <laughs> our own hash. Our hashtag is STFU Dave. <laughs> well yeah it's good to have friends um <laughs> i love this man he he is he is one of my best friends in real life uh we all sit around my pool table in my basement and do this podcast it's kind of weird when i'm on with doing guest host stuff because like i'm just sitting here by myself and normally i look across and i see dave's big ugly face and i see dustin flexing <laughs> in the mirror for some reason <laughs> You know, these things, I'm like, I'm kind of lonely, but I'm not lonely because I have you guys. So, and I love, and I, I love the fact in your calling for Land of the Creeps for the uh, gory scenes, Dustin brought up sacrifice. I was like, that, and grotesque. And like, he brought up some deep. Dive. The thing is, I introduced him to those. And oh, did yeah. And, and like, he always forgets that I'm the one that introduced him to those. Like, he never would have known that. Like, the most extreme thing he would have seen would have been hostile before I introduced him to, like, <laughs> you know, mortem and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, I have some shit I want to show you, but you don't want your wife to be around when I show you. <laughs> or anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Greg, thanks so much for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. And then um, let's see that. if you still around. Dave. Yep. And what, what, what of your many podcasts would you like to promote, dude? <laughs> You can find Dave in all the links at the bottom of this show. He's on Land of the Creeps. He's on Jay the Dead's new horror movies. He's on uh, uh, Considering the Cinema's DVD Infatuation. He's got his blog. You've been writing a lot over there lately, uh, Dave, which has been awesome. Um, He's on Phantom Galaxy and like so many of us on Phantom Video with me and with uh, Illustrated Fan. I think I hit most of the big ones, right? All right, that'll be it, guys. Thank you so much for joining. And this, uh, you can find us at Phantom Galaxy, uh, wherever uh, your podcasters are. You can get us at uh, go over to um, Apple Podcasts and and leave us a review there uh, if you enjoyed the episode. 
Um, if you didn't enjoy the episode, don't bother leaving a review, uh, <laughs> or or leave a fi- or lie and leave a five star review. But uh, you can remember just to look- bl- you can blame it on me. Yeah, and, and thank, thank you, Nathan, for making my dreams come true. <laughs> Honestly, though, this has really been a great episode. What I what I love though is that we really delved in. We talked about the films. It wasn't just like a cheap joke. It was some cheap jokes, but it wasn't all cheap jokes. And I thank you, everyone, uh, for being involved. It was good. I had a I had a blast watching watching the film. Tell all your friends. Let them know all about yeah, us. So, so much, so much. Everybody fun. will be back um, at some point. Not all at the same time, but uh, and uh, thanks. This is Phantom Galaxy signing out. Thanks, everybody. Bye. From Beyond by H.P. Lovecraft Horrible beyond conception was the change which had taken place in my best friend, Crawford Tillingast. I had not seen him since that day, two months and a half before, when he had told me toward what goal his physical and metaphysical researches were leading. When he had answered my odd and almost frightened remonstrances by driving me from his laboratory and his house in a burst of fanatical rage. I had known that he now remained mostly shut in the attic laboratory with that accursed electrical machine, eating little and excluding even the servants, but I had not thought that a brief period of ten weeks could so alter and disfigure any human creature. It is not pleasant to see a stout man grown suddenly thin, and it is even worse when the baggy skin becomes yellowed or grayed, the eyes sunken, circled, and uncannily glowing, the forehead veined and corrugated, and the hands tremulous and twitching. And if added to this there be a repellent unkemptness, a wild disorder of dress, a bushiness of dark hair, white at the roots, and an unchecked growth of pure white beard on a face once clean-shaven, the cumulative effect is quite shocking. But such was the aspect of Crawford Tillingest on the night his half-coherent message brought me to his door after my weeks of exile such the specter that trembled as it admitted me, candle in hand, and glanced furtively over its shoulder, as if fearful of unseen things in the ancient lonely house set back from Benevolent Street. That Crawford Tillingest should ever have studied science and philosophy was a mistake. These things should be left to the frigid and impersonal investigator for... They offer two equally tragic alternatives to the man of feeling and action. Despair if he fails in his quest, and terrors unutterable and unimaginable if he succeed. Tillinghast had once been the prey of failure, solitary and melancholy, but now I knew, with nauseating fears of my own, that he was the prey of success. I had indeed warned him ten weeks before when he burst forth with his tale of what he felt himself about to discover. He had been flushed and excited then. 
talking in a high and unnatural, though always pedantic, voice. What do we know, he had said, of the world and the universe about us? Our means of receiving impressions are absurdly few, and our notions of surrounding objects infinitely narrow. We see things only as we are constructed to see them, and can gain no idea of their absolute nature. With five feeble senses, we pretend to comprehend the boundlessly complex cosmos, yet other beings with a wider, stronger, or different range of senses might not only see very differently the things we see, but might see and study whole worlds of matter, energy, and life, which lie close at hand, yet can never be detected with the senses we have. I have always believed that such strange, inaccessible worlds exist at our very elbows, and now I believe I have found a way to break down the barriers. I am not joking. Within 24 hours, that machine near the table will generate waves acting on unrecognized sense organs that exist in us as atrophied or rudimentary vestiges. Those waves will open up to us many vistas unknown to man and several unknown to anything we consider organic life. We shall see that at which dogs howl in the dark and that at which cats prick up their ears after midnight. We shall see these things and other things which no breathing creature has yet seen. We shall overleap time, space, and dimensions, and without bodily motion peer to the bottom of creation. When Tillinghast said these things, I remonstrated, for I knew him well enough to be frightened rather than amused. But he was a fanatic, and drove me from the house. Now he was no less a fanatic, but... His desire to speak had conquered his resentment, and he had written me imperatively in a hand I could scarcely recognize. As I entered the abode of the friend so suddenly metamorphosed into a shivering gargoyle, I became infected with the terror which seemed stalking in all the shadows. The words and beliefs expressed ten weeks before seemed bodied forth in the darkness beyond the small circle of candlelight and I sickened at the hollow, altered voice of my host. I wished the servants were about, and I did not like it when he said they had all left three days previously. It seems strange that old Gregory, at least, should desert his master without telling as tried a friend as I. It was he who had given me all the information I had of Tillinghast after I was repulsed in rage. Yet... I soon subordinated all my fears to my growing curiosity and fascination. Just what Crawford Tillinghast now wished of me, I could only guess, but that he had some stupendous secret or discovery to impart, I could not doubt. Before I had protested at his unnatural pryings into the unthinkable, now that he had evidently succeeded to some degree, I almost shared his spirit terrible though the cost of victory appeared. Up through the dark emptiness of the house, I followed the bobbing candle in hand of this shaking parody on man. 
The electricity seemed to be turned off, and when I asked, my guide said it was for a definite reason. It would be too much. I would not dare, he continued to mutter. I especially noted his new habit of muttering, for it was not like him to talk to himself. We entered the laboratory in the attic, and I observed 